0: This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter
1: at Dr. Matt Show.
0: Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
1: This is the Matt
2: Townsend Show.
0: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now
2: on BYU Radio.
3: BYU Radio.
2: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Top of the morning to you. It's Friday, folks. It's Friday. <laughs> you made it. Oh, isn't that great news? Which means for many, you're going to have a great weekend and you can just now kick back. Right? But for the others, you got to work. So, we got a great show for you today. We we're going to be touching pretty much every subject you can imagine. Poverty, trust, we'll we'll also get to the headlines, talk about Men's Grooming Day. Today, Men's Grooming Day. Happy Men's Grooming Day. There's Jeff clipping his his eyebrows and his nose hair?
3: I didn't have time to do it last night.
2: You had a you have a lot of uh, we, we all have a lot of grooming to do. Grooming's the you know the the shaving every morning, the least favorite part of my day. You know? I don't mind the waxing. I don't mind <laughs> I don't mind all of the other fun stuff, but the grooming ah <sighs> Today I didn't even shave, and it it really buys me you ten uh-uh, buys me
4: ten minutes a day. We, we sign a document here at the at the old radio station. There it is, right there, a little scrap that, for that says yeah. that we will adhere to a certain policy. I know, and one of those see things you, to do. We have to shave. Yeah, you you are in violation. I know. I'm going to call a specific
2: office. I realize I do have five o'clock shadow mm. every day, so. It's, yeah, me too. I have to
4: shave twice a day. Yeah. Because it's like if I have a speech at night, it's double who, shaving. So. Who came up with that idea? I don't know. Let's take a piece of metal. Yeah. And we'll just scrape our faces scrape with our it. Scrape our face. And that'll be the socially acceptable thing to do. I don't
2: know. But today we're celebrating it Men's Grooming Day. It's also National Hot and Spicy Food Day. Mmm. I love hot and spicy. Caliente.
4: Mmm. It's not so bad. Uh-huh. It's more tingly than hot. Oh, <laughs> Dumb and Dumber. That's never good. One of the greatest movies of all time. You have to watch it with somebody. It's kind of weird to watch it by yourself. You have to watch it with a bunch of 14-year-old boys. Oh, and yeah. You
2: laugh your heads off. It's really funny. It's so fun. We'll get to that, plus a little Trump date. Uh, Donald Trump turning into a kinder, gentler man. Maybe apologizing. Kellyanne Conway is having her way. Apparently he
4: he read a vague apology off a teleprompter yesterday in North Carolina. So but but he's different. It was, it felt like, wow, this guy could be president now. He's also reaching out to those groups that he's polling really horrible with. Is he minority groups specifically? Well, well, let me get women minority. Uh, Yeah. Everyone, but white middle-class men. Yeah,
2: pretty much. Okay. Kinder, gentler, Donald Trump. We'll get to that as well. Plus, Lochte, uh, the swimmer, Ugh. Uh, apparently caught in a lie. We'll get to that. Apparently? We got a lot going on. There's yeah. a video. <laughs> He's caught a, in a lie. Is there a video? Anyway, let's get first to the headlines with Caitlin Thomas. Caitlin, what's going on?
5: Thanks, Matt. So Donald Trump just made one of his biggest changes yet. He expressed regret and admitted wrongdoing. In prepared remarks given last night in North Carolina, Trump explained his past year of controversy-filled remarks as misspeaks in the heat of debate. Trump said, "...sometimes in the heat of debate and speaking on a multitude of issues, you don't choose the right words or you say the wrong thing. I have done that. And believe it or not, I regret it. And I do regret it, particularly where it may have caused personal pain. Too much is at stake for us to be consumed with these issues." And after days of confusion about what happened to Ryan Lochte, James Fain, Jack Conger, and Gunnar Bentz, there's now closed-circuit TV footage of much of the incident early Sunday at a gas station in Rio de Janeiro. Bentz and Conger gave statements Thursday denying having been victims of a robbery and said the version of events presented by Lochte was not true. The U.S. Olympic Committee confirmed the four swimmers had stopped at the station to use a restroom where one of them committed an act of vandalism, so authorities were called in to contain the issue. A gun may have been brandished to control the men. None of the swimmers will, so far, face any criminal charges. In a small town in Louisiana, one extended family is recovering from a staggering loss. Gary Wheat and 36 of his relatives lost their homes, 13 in all, spread over a 25-acre area due to the devastating floods. Parts of his town have seen more than 31 inches of rain. The water has largely receded in the rural areas, but yesterday some of his relatives were still using a boat to reach their homes and clean up. Wheat said they've never seen anything like this. The water just came up so fast that we didn't have any time to get everything out. It's rough, but we're going to be all right. And lastly, Matt... An elderly woman who lives in the suburban Los Angeles home made famous by TV sitcom The Brady Bunch scared off burglars who were ransacking the house. Police said yesterday the resident, who was aged in her 70s, was not hurt during the break-in. Police said the suspects tried to get in through the windows before smashing a downstairs sliding glass door. They ransacked the den and then moved upstairs, smashing the victim's bedroom door. It woke up the the resident, who turned on the lights leading the culprits to flee. What? The suspects fled, but police sources said they left behind physical evidence, so the search for the suspects oh. is still ongoing. The Brady Brunch house got robbed. Well,
2: I want to know which sliding glass door. Was it the one by the dining room or was it the one by the TV room? Was it the one <laughs> that Marcia walked out right when Greg threw the football and hit her in the nose?
5: You know what? I'll look into that for you. I don't know. I'll I'll give you an update next hour. Yeah,
2: I want to know which sliding glass door. (laughs) Oh, good stuff. Good job, Caitlin. Man, that is tragic. You got to, come on, a 70-year-old owner of the Brady Bunch home. Don't mess. Don't mess. Well, um, what a day. Man alive. Here's what we're going to be getting to today. Poverty. How do you ever solve the problem of poverty? Well, we may have a technological answer. What if you could find an app that we could use to help maybe, I guess, coach or identify what's going on? Because there's multiple causes of poverty, right? And uh, today we'll be talking with um, some, a program here at BYU with some BYU students that have put together an app to help us figure out what specifically— is going on with every individual case of poverty and how to coach those people or get them the help they need to get out of poverty. Some need jobs, right? Some are under Some have mental health issues. Some have other physical health issues. And the app will help to diagnose and figure out what's going on and then solve case-by-case, case, create plans to get people out of poverty. Powerful idea. We will be talking about that in a few moments uh, with those... Uh, with some members of that team putting that together. Jeff Sheets will be with us from Brigham Young University. Also, he, he by the way, is the director of the Laycock Center for Creativity and Collaboration at BYU. Uh, plus, we got to get to Donald Trump because something happened last night that is either a sign of the times. It might be a sign that the world is near an end. Yes, Donald Trump... A uh, Well almost apologized I mean it was an apology without really saying I'm sorry to anyone right was, that's kind of how it felt when I heard well that. let's listen to it um, Donald Trump expresses regrets for having caused pain
6: sometimes in the heat of debate and speaking on a multitude of issues you don't choose the right words or you say the wrong thing you i have done that and believe it or not i regret it particularly where it may have caused personal pain
2: hey there you go
4: that sounded sincere yeah well so he has a tone when he's reading and he has a tone when he's just you know master of ceremonies donald trump and that was, you know, it was he was reading. I mean... But that, that was his reading tone. I, so my question is, do we take that as sincere because he's reading it or is it not because we know he doesn't yeah. want to do that?
2: Well, I think the mere fact that words like that came out of his mouth...
4: It's a big deal. <laughs> that hasn't happened ever. Did you sense any... Like l- like it was labored for him
2: well, to do that? He he was talking like hypothetically. Sometimes... <laughs> You use words that you don't normally use. I've done that before. <laughs> it's yeah. kinda, he, he didn't say, I have said things in this campaign. So he wasn't specific. He was very general at first. I, I, when I made fun of the person with disabilities, mm. when I made fun of the senator and said Pocahontas, when I made fun of the Hispanic Americans, when I made fun of the veterans... When I made fun of POWs, when I made fun of women, hmm.
4: I I misspoke. When he may or may not have, like, tried to influence people on some sort of violent act towards another presidential yeah. candidate, yeah. that may not have happened. Yeah. I don't know. These things are all up. But for I made fun of every
2: candidate and their spouse. Yeah. Well, some, not all of them. Yeah, not all their spouses. But so he wasn't specific. But honestly, it was a major step. D- I mean, he's got 5,000 more. His car-
4: his Carly Fiorina and what's wrong with her face kind of comment, is that covered in this, do you think? That's or? probably covered okay. in, generally. In uh, the, in the, yeah. How far reaching is this apology? Well. What do you think is not
2: covered? Well, I, I think specifically we don't know what he
4: meant specifically. Like, did he mean Carly? He has a tendency to do this. Yeah. He makes comments, leaves them very open-ended. And open to interpretation. But when you says look who? at it, says who? It says who? But when you look at it, it's one. It's it's the
2: it's the first time. So if this is something we will then hear for the
4: next six weeks, is this an apology tour? This could be somebody else powerful. had an apology tour and he didn't like yeah. it. Yeah. No. Yeah. No, he didn't. Yeah. A lot of people didn't.
2: Yeah. But it, in my mind, it's the beginning of well, we'll see today. Is this the softening of Donald Trump? You know what it is? I think it's the impact of Kellyanne Conway, who now personally travels with him everywhere he goes. I think
4: she probably holds his cell phone yeah. so he can't tweet. Let me just hold that for you. Then. Yeah. Let me hold that for you, Don. She commented on his pivot, as it's being called. Yeah. That he's pivoting towards the general election. So this is... this is two a two months too late. This but. is an apology pivot. In fact, let's listen to Kellyanne Conway and and first of
2: all her position that Donald is building a, mo- a movement
3: typical politicians like Hillary Clinton erect campaigns but Donald Trump has built a movement and people feel included in that movement i know people who have traveled with him recently yeah for the first time including elected officials are really struck by the energy by the crowds by the enthusiasm
2: huh yeah it's a movement it's not just a campaign. I mean, anyone can build a campaign right? like Hillary. But it takes someone special like Donald or Bernie to build a movement. It's a really great point. She also talks about the fact that he needs to speak in his own words.
3: What I would like him to do is let everyone get the benefit of his leadership. You know, he scores very well in strong leader and that's what so many americans are starving for and when he delivers a speech in his own words then people can actually focus on the content i think that's what's so important if we're going to cover campaigns as you know a comedy show or who's into who that day or no content no substance i think we're doing a disservice to the voter it's
2: a great point yeah you, you should you, if you're covering it as a comedy like of airs hmm then that is a
4: disservice. Unless, of course, it is a comedy of errors. Then you're just covering it. Yeah, there was an implication she had there, like maybe people were looking for mistakes. Yeah. And and like you said, I don't know if they needed to really look that far to find them. Donald delivers. He just personally (laughs) delivers mistakes. I mean, I think he's even
2: admitted that yesterday, that a lot of these things he says, you know, just were from the heat of the battle. Her point is... He's a great leader. He's an incredible leader. We need to enjoy his leadership and his style sometimes maybe gets in the way,
4: maybe. Right. But let's not pay attention to the style. Let's just pay attention to the leadership. He has lots of energy. She's trying to focus it. Yeah. It'll be his words. He may read them more. Yeah, that's a weird thing because he needs to use his
2: words, his own words, but it sounds like when he reads that he's not using his words, except a lot
4: of us feel safer when he's not. Because his words obviously huge, tremendous, yeah, spectacular huge. things like that are used quite a bit. Right. And he didn't he doesn't use those when they're written down. Right. So is it really Trump speaking or is he speaking the words no. he's supposed to say? But it seems like what we're all okay with is let's just – we want – it's kind of
2: like we just want his brain – well, we want his leadership drive okay. in a bottle mm. and put that in the chair in the Oval Office. Okay. And then we want his persona to be puppified and run by Kellyanne Conway. And she just runs it like a puppet, like a little mm. – you know. But you like, don't want his brain? You took w- that back? Well, we, I, I, there's part of his brain we want. There's other parts we don't want. You know, like the reactive, flippant part of the brain? <laughs> but that's the fun part. Well, that's the part that gets him in trouble. And that's the part that scares, like, Wall Street and everybody yeah. <laughs> else.
4: It scares other worlds. If not, then he truly just turns into a politician, and then right? what's the point? But I think that's it. If we could just bottle his
2: drive, his energy, his leadership, just and put that in a bottle on the Oval Office desk. Right. And then we got it. We're all set.
3: Didn't Christina Aguilera write a song about that? Genie um, in a
2: Bottle? Oh, Genie in a Bottle. Yeah, yeah. it was a little different. Yeah, it's not. Uh, he's oh. not a genie. Okay. We just, all we want is his pers- is some of his personality, his drive. Leadership in a Bottle. Man, if we could just do that. If we could take Hillary Clinton's skill sets, all of these great in-depth tools she's got, Donald's drive and just leadership... Oh, and mix them together, and then make a little Frank and Clinton, Trump, Trump and Clint, Clinton Trump. Oh, that'd be great, don't you think? Then we'd, then we'd have it. Throw in a little bit of Johnson, (laughs) kind of the laid-back, fun guy Johnson. Little Greenstein. The perfect combination. And then just put it all maybe in the body of McMullen. He's young. Fresh. Mm. I don't think it works that way, folks. We'll take a break. When we come back, we will be talking about poverty. how, How to stop it. How to change it. How to actually create progress on that front. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back friends to the Matt Townsend show. You know with more than 3 billion people, half of the world's population currently is living in poverty and over a third of them living on less than $1.25 a day. Poverty is one of the world's top social economic concerns. The United States is attributed with 47 million people living on or below the poverty line. There, uh, however, are no silver bullets to ending poverty. It's such a complicated issue, but Brigham Young University students, along with a prominent NGO organization, non-government organization, Fundación Paraguaya, uh, might have found a catalyst for change. And here to talk to us about it today and his project, Poverty Stoplight, is Professor uh, Jeff Sheets. And Jeff is a professor in the advertising department here at Brigham Young University, but before was a a director of the Laycock Center for Creativity and Collaboration here at BYU. Jeff, thanks for being with us today. Oh, thanks, Matt.
7: It's great to be here.
2: What a cool idea, really, when you – I mean – you may be taking on probably one of the most complicated issues of humanity, poverty.
7: No, absolutely. This is one of those types of projects that really gets you interested in how does the world around you work. And when you look at BYU's aims and mission statements, being able to help alleviate those social ills that we're all facing, Um, we might we might be able to think about poverty. Well, that's not happening in my neighborhood here in Provo, right. um, but it actually is at certain levels. Poverty is one of those most interesting, multifaceted um, elements of our of our society.
2: What makes up the the complexity? I mean, some people think, well, if those people would just get a job, then they'd just be out of poverty. <laughs> It's not that simple.
7: No, it's never that simple. In fact, the the great thing about Poverty Stoplight as a a tool for any kind of social innovator who's looking to alleviate social ills, it actually looks at it in a multidimensional way. Poverty can't be described by just the outward appearance of things. It might not be the fact you live in a hut and you have dirt floors. Those are the things that might be glamorized in a movie. But poverty actually can be found in multiple levels. And I, I've heard you mention even a little bit about it might be mental health, right. social, right. social uh, issues that you have just in a community. So what, what Poverty Stoplight tries to do is it puts it down into multi-facets, 50 different indicators. It might be everything from income levels to clean water hmm. to health, but also safety, security. It could be things about yeah, crime even. I mean, it's probably – it's everything. It is.
2: And, and, okay, so this is an app that – uh, your students have put together with Fundación Paraguayo. Is that how it works?
7: Correct. So Martine Burt is the, this amazing social innovator from South America. Yeah. And, and I find it this really kind of beautiful um, serendipity and paradox almost that out of one of the poorest countries in the right. world is coming a methodology and a metric which can actually help alleviate one of their largest issues, which is poverty. Amazing. And so when you think about that, it's it's kind of a beautiful idea. And then for BYU, we're really excited to be able to try and help um, establish how can it better be used? How can you better communicate it? Coming from a, a communication and a storytelling side of things, we mm. want to help tell this story to other areas of the world. And it's actually begun to export now. We're starting in Paraguay. It has now gone through all of South America. We've actually implemented things in Africa and wow. all over Asia. Wow. So, um, it has this potential to, to enable you to see how those 50 different indicators are actually being implemented in different communities. And if you were an NGO and you, and you, had, you cared about education and that mm-hmm. was your thing and literacy is what you're going to eradicate. Instead of walking in and looking on the surface level and saying, well, it looks like to me you guys can't read or you have a problem here. What, the, what this tool does is it actually gives each family a chance to do a self-diagnosis where they do a visual survey and they describe for themselves, well, this is where my level of poverty is in these 50 areas. Interesting, yeah. So they might say, well, my house is good. Yeah, I, we I got, got a, a house. And that's why it's called the stoplight is you pick a green, a yellow, or a red. So if it's green, you say, oh, my house is great. I've got a nice roof. I don't have a problem. I look at my water situation and say, well, it's probably yellow. I still go out to a, a public system. Well for or the, yeah. Mm-hmm, but I get my water, but it's clean. Um, and then, and then, but, oh, in this area. But whoa, we're sick. Liter- we, we, we have a lot of illness in our community. Right. Or uh, literacy. I can't read. Right. So I can see these pictures, but right. I don't know. Right. I don't know what the words say. So I put a red there. And that gives everyone a chance to actually look at the things that they feel are important that they want to change. And that's where the, that's actually where poverty can be eradicated is mm. when you self identify with this is what I want to do.
2: Because then you could go in and target uh, literacy for that family. Maybe improve the community by putting a well in, or or a uh,
7: some kind of uh, water delivery system. So that then you can make an actual change. Exactly, and then you don't also have kind of that gringo mentality, which says I've come to solve yeah. all your problems, okay. and I see what you need. Yeah, you let them to self. Determine, Man. This is what I want to do. And these are the changes I want to make. And it actually works really well with mentoring within a community because mm. the, ma- the app works. So there's no magic app. There's not an right. app that we're going to put on the iTunes store and start right. downloading to save millions. But what this actually does is it maps with geotagging where all of the green lights, red lights, and yellow lights are. So if you start to say, wait a minute, a street, one street away from me, and if you think about this, especially in the developing world, it's really powerful. Hmm. If one street away from me, they all have green lights on the same issue that I have a red, well, I now have a mentor or someone I can turn to in my own community and say, how did you do that? Let's model behavior against those that have positively made an impact. That's
2: powerful.
7: Plus you could, I guess –
2: um the ngos the bigger the organizations could start actually targeting like which area could we have the biggest impact by making one change because it'll change the most population
7: and now you've you've hit exactly on why it's it's about using digital technology to be able to sh- demonstrate that and show the power of Man, that change
2: does So is the idea, though—I mean, I'm assuming a lot of these people, they won't have the app, but they'll have social workers in the area, and the social workers can go sit with the families and help them build the—actually take the assessment and then build the— The plan.
7: That's correct. And so that is what the whole methodology. And so an app is is kind of maybe the the easy way for us to describe. There's a a platform to help change this. But it is a a multi-step process with an individual social worker from an NGO working with an individual family, Hmm. doing the self-diagnosis, and then creating the action plan that remediates what the issues are. And then following up, imagine... You all of a sudden have follow-ups. How are we doing in our literacy program? Precisely. Every and so that's where a social worker becomes so key. You yeah. start with the impetus of I want change. They make their own decision. They make an action plan. Three months later, they're back saying, let's evaluate mm-hmm. what have we done on these six steps. Yeah. And a year later, they're still in the same process helping them change. Unbelievable. Do we do this in the United States? Not to this level. The the US has been invited to participate with this as well. It's it's kind of an interesting um, conundrum. We even need to Look at it in Provo. But right, often we right. would say, well, I don't want to do this here yeah. in my community. We, we don't need these kinds of tools. These are for you know, the developing world. But the idea behind having someone help you self-diagnose, these are the issues that mm-hmm. I have, and then build an action plan and give you a little bit of follow-up and, and commitment to, to finish, I think we could use that That's, everywhere.
2: Well, in fact, in um, downtown Salt Lake City was known for doing a really good job with their homeless and, in fact, even giving them apartments that they would then, and then they go to to get into the program. You you'd get a place to live, an apartment, but then you'd have to have a social worker assigned to you. The social worker would assess you, find out why you're homeless, then help you deal with the homeless issues that you have to deal with, mental health, physical health, you know, education or literacy, and then build a plan to get you kind of ramped back up. It's almost it sounds like that, but at a global level, it's powerful.
7: Yeah. And and Salt Lake's model is exactly in that same kind of plan and platform. It's 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 a little bit ironic when you think about it from maybe a BYU and a church perspective. Yeah. It really is like having a bishop and a relief society president yeah, come and like sit church down with leaders you. that come mm-hmm. and sit and assess and and f- build an action plan and describe if we're going to give assistance in these areas. Here's how we're going to follow up and what commitments you're going to make yeah. in order to to, to change. It things. also seems
2: like if you could get t- all of the the large churches, the Catholic Church in South America, if you could get them to become a part of this and help in the assessment, then it's not just giving care. It's it's not just giving fish; it's teaching people how to fish.
7: Exactly, and that's that. Martin uses one of those. That's one of his monikers that he built a one of his own frameworks around, which is teach a man to fish. And that mm. that methodology is the plan and the hope. Uh, he's actually presented this at the Vatican to Has one of their really? one of their global poverty summits, and. And the materials that our BYU students have created have been the materials that he uses in presentations mm-hmm. in those in those locations. I
2: mean, because I could see it easily, you know, being in the LDS Church worldwide, but then the Catholic Church is so much bigger, and and then even bigger than all of that are the, all the NGOs, all of the other organizations that are all trying to do good, but aren't necessarily so process oriented. They're not. It's not so systemic, right? It's like here, let me just feed you, or I also see it's a great idea that if you could flip open like a dashboard and see where they need water services, then if you're a charity that goes in and puts wells in places or pumps in, you know, creates an actual water system for somebody, you could go target your areas.
7: That's exactly the the platform is supposed to be. Yeah. What's been great for us when you think about this, BYU students have this desire inside them to want to contribute in a positive way. Right. They they think it's their mission to change the world. And what's really helpful is at BYU to have centers that want this to happen. The The key center for this on campus is called the Ballard Center. Um, and their, their mission is to work with social innovators and help them develop better, how to do good better. Yeah. Everything you've described about, well, wouldn't it be amazing if... BYU students can contribute to that. And so as a professor working with the director of the Ballard Center, his name's Todd Mannering. Mm. He and I have worked with Martin Burt now for Todd's worked with him for over seven years. I've worked with them together with them for four. And the the number of students who've been able to now help see this through. They've been they've traveled the world. They've worked with the NGOs in places in Africa and all over South America who are implementing these changes. Man. Building the platforms of how to get the churches to say, well, what if we what if we went and did the self-assessments? I mean, not to create a radical idea, but imagine if a missionary force of you know 75,000 yeah. is part of their work would actually go and say, what if we talked and to, today you don't want to hear my message, but would you look at this tool and- Let's take this assessment. <laughs> It'd be amazing. Every church leader in imagine? the Catholic church all over the world, a, a well, priest doing that. Well, and every
2: United Way member, every, um, what do they call the, the core? Uh, the Peace Corps. The Peace Corps member, everyone out there, if they were doing an assessment, and then you get a global- Census, yeah, and how powerful! And when
7: you see the map, and I'll just I'll spin one around for you just to look at. Yeah, you see red, yellow dots, and green dots, and so you can change the indicator, and those all those dots will change based on a lot of red and a lot of yellow. Yeah, and there's a lot of work to do. But if you change it to another uh, another facet of poverty, you might be able to see a lot of green. Holy cow, Jeff!
2: Let's take a break. We're speaking with uh, Professor Jeff Sheets. He is actually a professor of account or of. Advertising. We'll come back and talk about how he got from there to working on this program. It's called Poverty Stoplight, a powerful opportunity to change the world, quite literally. Um, One family at a time, one community at a time, finding the need and targeting the specific need that's driving a family into poverty. We'll continue the discussion. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you see the good in the world. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. We are joined by Professor Jeff Sheets uh, from Brigham Young University, and he's talking to us today about Poverty Stoplight, which is a, uh, is a project that um, they've put together here at Brigham Young University, but in partnership with uh, a foundation, Fundacion Paraguaya, which is a foundation from Paraguay. And uh, it's to help NGOs, non government organizations, fight poverty. But, really, what it is, is at first, it's a tool to gather the information so and then to deliver an action plan for how each specific person as a family or or as a community can start to to handle their issues. I guess it's also a way to accumulate best practices,
7: yeah, absolutely. It works as an amalgamator of those best practices, so that you you might recognize. Um, certain social innovations that have tried to change something. Mm -hmm. And and when you think about clean water is maybe an easy one because we we see what wells have done and then it becomes um, how to get water directly to the house and other other areas. When you see what works in one community, what this also does is it, it helps each area of the world kind of modify it to their space. Right. What works in Paraguay will not work in Uh sub-Saharan Africa. Mm. So you don't say, well, here's a place that gets flooded.
2: Yeah. Always use this. Yeah.
7: Yeah, It doesn't work that way. So you allow it to actually modify and change based on the location Hmm. where you are. So don't do in Cambodia what you did in Ghana and what you did in Ghana, maybe you do want to do differently in in Paraguay.
2: It's interesting too, because I, I think I remember a few years ago, they were giving cell phones out to the poor. Those in poverty, which seems like that would be fantastic because then they could communicate and get a job and, and, you know, and have a phone number, except if that's not your problem. So if you don't have a communication problem, that's not what's keeping you in poverty. Being given a phone won't help me. If what I need is food, then I need food. Phones won't help if I need food.
7: Exactly. And they might have sold the phone to go get the food, and then
2: you're right back in the same cycle. And yet we expended all the money. And so I guess part of this is really to target. It's just data. Gathering the right data and then targeting the right data with solutions creates progress.
7: Exactly. And this idea of data, that's where the app comes in, is it allows technology to do the heavy lifting of, of bringing all the data together letting an NGO see then where their best efforts can be done. And if someone is perhaps if if people are really kind of already green as we would say, yeah. it looked like they had a problem maybe on the outside from the surface right. level, but when they self-assess, they said, well, what's what's really driving my problems are three other issues.
2: Interesting.
7: And plus plus you could start
2: to see if everyone's if we turn a community green, so green light versus red light, then we can also go to the green areas it's not like the green areas are done it just means now we know what works in those areas so it's just a well of more information
7: right and you might be able to take those best learnings and turn them on to 22 other indicators who are actually still yellow that's right
2: and i guess the goal would be of the 50 indicators to keep turning all of them green eventually absolutely but even in the biggest cities the best cities in the best neighborhoods they're not all green.
7: No. And that's that's the great thing about how this should roll out is that each person, I mean, even if you didn't take this exact methodology, if you were to evaluate your own life today, no matter what circumstance you're in and you're listening to this, you think, well, I'm, I'm perfect. Yeah, I got that. Actually, we're all poor in something. Right. We're we're lacking in some things, and it might be self determination. It might be um, something to do with safety and security. It right. might, you know, you just you what you should do is just do a little analysis, and what could you what could you change, and then you start to make an action plan to get get. I that love lot. it, you
2: know. It is interesting for me. You have worked with yourself companies like, you know, uh, Times, Inc., Nike, Apple, Franklin Covey, Nintendo and a bunch of nonprofits how how did you get involved how does a professor of advertising end up in this
7: well that's a, that's a great question the the again the coolest part about wanting to work with BYU is you have this ability to to really change the world and so what we want to do is put all of our time and talents and efforts into lifting our brothers and sisters around us right and and so if you can use the way i look at it people kind of laugh at advertising and think, what? That's like the That's worst. That's crazy. You just
2: sell makeup.
7: <laughs> yeah. You, you make people buy things they don't need. <laughs> but if it's really that powerful, right? If it's that great creative solution Yeah, for as tool, good as you say you are. Yeah. So if it's if it can really make people do things they don't want to do, well then couldn't it also be used to create really positive changes all over the world? And couldn't so you true. engage people and persuade them to understand who they really are yeah. deep down and yeah. then to make a positive change for themselves? And so,
2: actually, it's brilliant, right? Like, use supposedly the the the
7: worst tools that make america the worst but use it to be the best and help people become the best that's 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 how we teach it so so for me i'm i'm always seeking for these kinds of projects and this one came out and when you think about social innovation um we 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 had two centers work together on campus to work on this if you if you only all great innovation, innovative ideas have to come from some kind of mashup of multiple Mm. disciplines. If you went to an engineer and they said, solve poverty, they would design you a thing that does it. If you went to a business person, they'd say, well, I got a business plan and they'll make it. If you went to maybe a filmmaker, they'd make a film. But what if you brought all those people together and you kind of mashed these ideas up and it got a little messy because everyone wanted to do their thing until they started having empathy for each Mm -hmm. other. They they actually started looking at the real problem, the root cause. And then you start getting these innovative, creative solutions that we've never yeah. seen before because these different disciplines all came together.
2: You know, it's probably the reason we don't have as much progress on a lot of issues, poverty, cancer. Um, when we have somebody come in to talk about poverty, they're usually a social worker just bringing in the statistics of poverty and have they have a bunch of ideas. But then I think of a – but you still have to communicate the idea. Then you could use technology to gather and accumulate more data and best practices. But you still also have to sell it to the community that might have to pay for it. And and then you need a network or somebody like a business side that can bring in businesses that could innovate. So it really – maybe that's the problem. And even in academics, we see everybody broken into these departments. But the departments and i've seen it here at byu and every university they don't talk well they don't interchange well
7: hard to work together you know no, no question and and that is that siloed approach i think is kind of in, in my personal opinion is is, is gone is, is bygone then you
2: have like though but then you have these other organizations on campus like the ballard uh institute is that what yeah, it's called? the ballard center ballard center and um the uh laycock center for creativity and collaboration and then all of a sudden. They, they can bring in all of the other talented departments, right, to, co- to, to create a coalition.
7: That's exact. That's Those are their exact purposes. And that's why it's, it's been really fulfilling to see BYU take a stand and have these centers, which will bring together multifaceted, talented yeah. people to try and, and tackle these, these things. When you look at the, the aims of a BYU education, one of those aims, the fourth one, is yeah. to have lifelong learning and service. And what we're really believing is we should start our students with that lifelong learning and service mentality while they're here. Mm -hmm. And they're making these changes and implementing these kinds of programs as a student. They're going to be that much more prepared to continue to contribute as they leave. Love it. I love the kind of lifelong idea.
2: I also love the fact that you're showing the complexity of poverty, the mere fact that it's a 50-point assessment. And um, so... I think it's important for all of us to lose the myth that poverty is about weak people that just don't try. Poverty is about and the majority of the world really is have some level of being impoverished.
7: Absolutely. And and the great thing is even the poorest person in the world can be rich in something. Yeah. Great. I mean, they'll still have green lights. No question. And they and that that also helps re-empower them to remember where they are in a positive way. Yeah. And then use some of those those yeah. kind of self-affirmative goals to to, to help change. Focus where those negative.
2: strengths to deal with the negatives. What can we do just if anyone's out there listening, where can they go? Where should they go to, to, to
7: help? So we've, we've created, as part of this project we've created a website for them. It's called povertystoplight.org, and on that site, it actually enables any, especially those who are involved with NGOs, it shows what's the, how do I get involved? How mm-hmm. do I get my organization to utilize this type of methodology? Great. How do I contribute my data so we can start to see this map mm-hmm. grow out? Um, so at povertystoplight.org, you can see all of the information. It, it shows you exactly how to join the movement. It um, gives you all kinds of explanations as to what this organization's been doing all over the globe,
2: and and can they access? The, I guess once they're on, they can access the data and say, "Oh, our NGO could be helping these people." Then
7: correct. The map is there; shows all the tools, samples Huge. of the assessments. It's uh, it's pretty great.
2: Ah, oh, Jeffrey, well done, my friend. That's some pretty powerful stuff. Again, Jeff Sheets is his name, and if if you want to contact him, you just got to Google Jeff Sheets, BYU professor, and you'll get right to his page, I'm sure. But go check out PovertyStoplight.org org and uh understand folks we're all part of this uh, big family here on earth and if we can lift one we lift us all jeff thanks for being with us thanks, matt. we'll take a break folks come right back and uh we're going to talk olympics again leanna tan's going to go on a little tangent we're going to find out uh what she's been cooking up at the olympics we'll be right back this is the matt townsend show Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm telling you, uh, being on a campus, it's it's pretty amazing what's going on. When you put together a bunch of—think of just the energy that uh, these students have to do good, and their talent, and their innovation, and then you put them with a few professors that know what they're doing, and a couple of connections maybe with somebody in South America— Bada boom, bada bing, you have just put together a pretty powerful catalyst to create change. And I guess in the end, for all of us, isn't that what this is about? It's about creating change. Change in you, change in me, we make it happen. Anyway, honored uh, to be a part of it all. So uh, we also wanted to be focusing on the Olympics in this first hour. And, uh, you know, it's about to end this weekend. It's officially going to end. But no fear you haven't completely missed your chance. The next Summer Olympics are just four years away in Tokyo, Japan, and if you're inspired to compete yourself, one of our producers, Leanna Tan, is going to teach you how to become an Olympian. She'll share with us some workout secrets so you can begin your own Olympic training.
8: I know I'm not the only one who's been inspired by the Olympics these past few weeks. Since I know you're all secretly trying to find your inner Olympian as well, I figured I'd share a few tricks of the trade. There are 42 different sports represented in this year's Summer Olympics.
1: That's a lot. But you
8: might be fearing that in order to start trading for them, you need to do some heavy investing. Golf clubs, horses, tennis balls, bows and arrows. But don't worry, there is one sport where all you really need is your legs. Running. So let's start with the basics. As you're spending these last couple weeks of summer trying to get in shape, I'll let you know the top five secrets to my daily Olympic training routine. Ow!
4: I hate this! Running is terrible. Everything is the worst. What?
8: Start tracking your steps the moment you wake up. Don't sell yourself short! You paid in a lot of effort tumbling from your bed and sliding into those slippers.
2: I never want to leave this bed.
8: And I'm pretty sure you burn a calorie or two just walking from the bathroom and back.
2: Uh oh. Gotta take a whiz. I better get up.
8: According to the healthy eating guide, sitting burns an estimated 75 calories per hour. Sit up! Am I helping you feel less guilty about your life choices?
3: No, not really. Two!
8: No! Run in the heat of the day. <laughs> After like two minutes, you already look super sweaty, and people think you've been running for like ever. This is the key to the athletic look. Oh, well, I've been uh, working out. And sweating? That kind of helps you lose weight, too. I
0: just want to make you sweat.
8: Energymisers.com says sweating and overheating forces your body to work harder and your heart to pump faster. Think of all that water weight you're shedding.
4: Mm, It's mostly water weight.
8: (laughs) Explore your music options. I know you want to go for the conventional Kanye or Kesha song, but you'd be surprised at how good it feels to run to some good old Michael Buble. Or Celtic music. You know, I've heard bagpipes really get the blood flowing. The options are endless, really. Four! Sing the ABCs while you're planking. A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And then sing them backwards. It helps to keep your mind entertained so you're not so tempted to glance at that stopwatch every two seconds.
7: My watch is stopped.
8: And it somehow makes you forget that every fiber in your body is on fire.
0: A, B, C, D, E, F,
8: G. Fire! Remember to recharge after all that hard work. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, Don't let anyone make you feel guilty about eating three eggs, a banana, peanut butter, a bowl of cereal, a piece of toast, a mandarin orange, and some of yesterday's leftovers after a good, hard workout. You deserve it. Plus, it's a two-in-one benefit, exercising and cleaning out your fridge.
4: what are you doing? Oh, let me do it again.
8: So there you go. Follow these five simple tips to have a much more enjoyable workout and you'll be one step closer to your very own Olympic career. Oh, and don't forget to count all those calories you burn jumping up and down to squeeze into those jeans. Every little bit counts. Well, happy exercising. I'm Leanna Tan and that's my little tangent.
0: This is The Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at
1: Dr. Matt Show.
0: Call the show at 1 855 Chat BYU.
1: This is The Matt
3: Townsend Show.
0: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio.
3: BYU Radio.
2: Welcome back, everybody. Hour number two of The Matt Townsend Show. Happy Friday to you. Ho,
7: ho, ho, ho.
2: I love it when we get to Friday. I don't know why. I think because I have a day or two that seems free,
4: but not really. You work a lot of weekends. I do. I get photographs occasionally of you working weekends. Yes. I worked last night.
2: I wouldn't call it work. I gave a speech last night. I talked about our show.
4: Really? Yeah. I'm sure we have new listeners right now. Did, because did you talk that. about me? Yes. Yes. Did you tell them that it's, it's it, I'm just an awesome person and you should listen more? Sure. No. No, I did totally. I didn't believe that. That's exactly what I talked about. No, him. it isn't. It was an hour and a half about <laughs> Just about me. There's this guy I know. There's this guy. He's
2: incredible. Hey, did you know today is men's grooming day? That's what I've heard. Shaving
1: cream. Be nice and clean. Oh. Shave every day and you'll always look
2: keen. keen. Keen? Keen. If you shave every day, you'll always look clean. How old is that? Or keen. That was, I think, a twenty circa twenty fourteen. I think it just came out last year. Yeah, that oh, was a twenty fifteen then. Yeah, that's a great song. You'll always look Seriously. keen. One Direction sang that. Did they really? Mm-hmm. Wow, it's a hit. Fantastic. <laughs> a one hit wonder. One <laughs> hit wonder. Okay, explain to us, Terry. Hmm. I'll do what I can. What is going on with the male swimmers from the
4: United States swimming? So. Four male swimmers, including Ryan Lochte, the Ryan Lochte, 22 medals, who is apparently a peach of a human being. Okay, (laughs) just by all media accounts. But is he clean? That's the question. He shaved his face. It looks like at some point you'll always feel keen. He has his platinum blonde hair. Yeah, he's He, he he was a success in London. Came home, got a reality show. Yeah, that went for about a. I think there was a week and a half was where a, I, was I good remember week pulling some sound bites from it because it's, it was kind of ridiculous. And then the show went away. <laughs> and so he has this sort of party boy mm-hmm. persona with him. yeah. And then he goes to Rio, competes. He's done with his competition, but he's still there. Yeah. And him and three other uh, swimmers go out to, and, and into the streets of Brazil, have some fun, whatever. And then a report comes in that he was mugged right? Yeah. And apparently that report came from Ryan Lochte's mom. No, but, but she was back in the States. So she was back she here. She got the message apparently, from Ryan. Ryan said something to her so she said it to somebody else and then it got into the media so then he did an interview where he was talking about being held by gunpoint, gun was put <laughs> to his head, all this stuff. He said it was men dressed as Brazilian police officers. Ah, like police, like SWAT people. At that point, the police went, hold on, <gasps> we need to investigate this. Yeah, we don't people want people do thinking that You know, there are if there's a band of fake police out there, we need to stop this. Right. So uh, they start investigating. They found video from a gas station. And you see four swimmers vandalize a a, uh, gas station uh, bathroom. That's what they did. They had vandalized the bathroom. And then you see a security guard for the area or the gas station come up. And because the swimmers were acting erratically, he pulled his gun out, had them all sit down. Yes. Yes. And they paid 50 bucks for the damage, got in their car and left. And then mm. the story comes out, they were held up and mugged. And then. But then you see there's a security video of the three or the four swimmers coming back into the Olympics uh, athletes' village area. And they were just calmly going through security, no big deal. They were joking and lot laughing of like deal. it wasn't as right. if they had some sort of traumatic event happen. And it turns out that apparently they lied and. And this wasn't no. The Locky's still saying, "Well, but Locky also that this happened." Basically, got out of the country as fast as he could. He took off. The other three were still in country. Okay. And two of them were held up at the airport, and one of them was picked up. He wasn't leaving yet, and uh, one of them actually paid eleven thousand dollars to oh. a charity to get his passport back so he could leave the country. But, but the, the police are mad because they have a crime right. problem, but these Americans come down and make it worse by saying there are people dressed as police yeah, that are committing these. Yeah, and that's just these. bad press. You're yeah. doing
2: everything you can to make your Olympics look good, and then some, you know— Golden boy from America comes and creates chaos.
4: So it just sounds like a uh, Ah, poor poor decisions all around, and then you amp up the story by saying cops did it or people dressed as cops. Man. And that turned it into a big deal. Well, I'm glad you sorted that out. Yeah, just sitting here watching chaos. It's great. Well,
3: can't can't the term mugged be used? I mean, isn't that up for interpretation? I mean, money was exchanged, money was taken from them, and there
4: was a gun. They left out the vandalism, and (laughs) it was their fault. Yeah, me. There was even rumors of some sort of altercation. as a fight happened somewhere? Or I when when did the when did the
2: um, Mardi Gras float come into the whole thing? That was there was no more. Mardi oh, that Mardi was Flo- another story yeah, yeah, I heard yeah, about. It, it was different. It was different. Okay, just checking. So we'll get to uh, more swimmer updates from, um, and maybe we'll check in on too. Find out if the pool is still green. We'll have Terry get on that. We'll talk about that. Plus today we'll be speaking or actually replaying. One of my favorite interviews with uh, a friend and a guest, Stephen M. R. Covey, who wrote a book called Speed of Trust. It's how to get better results with people because by having trust. The higher the trust, the faster you can get stuff done. A really high trust culture allows you to you know, take a lot of shortcuts with each other. A low-trust culture, we have to make sure we got emails to back it up and everything. So we'll be uh, replaying a wonderful interview with Stephen M. R. Kevey on the Speed of Trust. But first, let's get to the headlines with Caitlin Thomas. Caitlin, what's going on?
5: familiar with the investigations into recent hackings of political organizations say that Donald Trump's campaign was recently targeted as well. At least one Trump staffer had their email infected with malware in 2015. It is unclear if the hackers were actually able to gain access to campaign computers. This comes after previous reports of hacks into the Democratic National Committee and the Congressional Fundraising Committee. The Clinton Foundation reportedly said Thursday that if Hillary Clinton becomes president, the nonprofit organization will no longer accept foreign and corporate donations. The Clinton Families Foundation has come under intense scrutiny, especially since she announced her presidential run with rival GOP nominee Donald Trump, alleging that donors benefited from Clinton's tenure as Secretary of State and reports indicating that the Clintons failed to disclose all their donors as promised. Um, Another update, Brazilian um, police have reported, like we said, a fabricated story from Ryan Lochte and his fellow U.S. Olympic swimmers. There was also reports, though, that Lochte did leave... As scheduled, back to America and is now cooperating with Brazilian authorities. But it doesn't look like any charges will be pressed against any of the swimmers. The Justice Department announced Thursday that it will begin phasing out the government's use of private prisons. The decision arrived shortly after a report released by the Justice Department's inspector general last week concluded that private prisons don't offer the same quality of correctional services and security as government prisons, and they also do not save on costs. And so there we go. Those are your headlines for this morning, Matt. Caitlin,
2: thank you very much. You're welcome. Yeah, I don't know what it is, but uh, it's kind of scary. Lochte got the swimmers going, and then he got out of the country as fast as he could. Now, you don't know if that was planned. But it was very convenient. And I hope it wasn't Lochte that did the vandalizing and then left his buddies hanging. And one guy had to pay 11 grand to get out of the country. It makes Brazil sound horrible, but... They're just trying to be clear here. There was vandalism. A security guard pulled a gun. Don't blame police. Come on. Anyway, uh, fun. Isn't isn't that a fun little addition to the Olympic Games and the Olympic world? Uh, A crazy story when you think about it. We always talk about bears and animals. And, you know, don't go near the bear. If you're in Yellowstone Park and there's a bear hide get away don't go don't go play with the bear don't go play with any wildlife but what are you supposed to do when a bear has somehow managed to lock himself in your car
4: i have had it boo-boo what you gonna do about it yogi i'm gonna bust out of here i will use tragedy boo-boo watch this
2: can't get out of the car He's locked
3: in the car.
4: Yogi, I'm still going to break out of here. You'll see.
2: Apparently Yogi Bear is in Jefferson County, Colorado. And in, you know, when you live in the West, some in the East may not understand this, but you can wake up in the West and have a moose in your backyard, or you could have a mountain lion. I had somebody that told me that they saw a mountain lion on a walk just near their home. Here's the problem, though. The neighbors in Jefferson County, Colorado, were utterly perplexed after being alerted of a bear that was stuck in a car. Just like Yogi there. Deputies responded to the call, but once they arrived, they could not understand exactly how the animal managed to let let himself into the vehicle, and then he locked the doors. There were no broken windows at the scene, and according to the video description, the moisture on the windows lets deputies know that the bear had been in there for quite some time. By the way, was the bear alone? Because no. whenever I come up on a window that's all fogged up, I don't – I'm always careful because may, may the bear may have had a – Well, it sounds like there was at least one other in there. So maybe there were two bears just trying to have a little, you know, time, a little kissy kiss. The deputies decided to open the hatch to release the bear through the trunk, and the bear eagerly returned to the woods. See? You didn't need to use strategy like Yogi Bear tried.
3: Well, if he eagerly went into the woods, it sounds like maybe he didn't want to be in there in the first
2: place. Seems like he was trapped. Hmm. Hmm. What do you do? I wonder if he just shredded the car, though. See, it might very well. It's a bear. A bear could live in my car for a week. Wouldn't even know. No, well, because I got enough French fries under my seat. Hmm. He's fine. <laughs> One year supply. <laughs> He'd have three bottles of water opened. He'd be fine.
4: Nice suit jacket to wear. (laughs) Yeah, my nice suit jacket. (laughs) For those (laughs) pop-up meetings that happen halfway through the day. It's so crazy. Any other headlines we need to worry about, Terry? Uber launching a fleet of self-driving cars to pick up passengers in Pittsburgh. And the vehicles will be hitting the roads as soon as a, a few weeks, reports are saying. The autonomous Ford Fusions are supervised by humans in the driver's seat for the time being. Oh, boy. Bloomberg reports. Though Uber's plans is to eventually phase out human backup drivers. See, there go cabbies. Yep. Five or six years from now with Ford's new announcement, there won't even be a need for a cab driver anymore. But Uber, and, uh, Uber purchased a uh, a building across the way from a robotics um, institute associated with the University of Pittsburgh Yeah. and then took like half their staff across the street to the new building. They're making Uber cars. They just purchased them all because th- what they're doing there is autonomous cars. You know what? I'm excited the for street. autonomous cars. I really am. But I always want there to be a steering wheel. And Let's they're just, talking about no, no steering wheel. Has to be a steering wheel. All right, they just want you to sit in your robot and have it take you where you need to go.
2: You, I, si- you I sit, you sit in the back, that. watch movies, I do would whatever. I love that. Yeah. Last night I had to drive an hour and a half in traffic, and then an hour back.
7: Mm.
4: I could have gotten work done. Right. I could have taken a nap. That's the other thing you would do. You would sleep more. <sighs> Um, Another news, a study that won't surprise many American women, apparently, Pew Research Center found that over half of the men in the U.S. believe that sexism no longer exists. Half of the men. Half of the men in the country believe that sexism is over. (laughs) (laughs) Trump's guy is is always, he's in on everything now. The poll released on Tuesday found that 56% of men think that obstacles that made it harder for women to get ahead are largely gone. Well, no. Which polls? The Which Pew, poll said that? The Pew Research Center poll. Men. That is full says men. who? Pew Research Center. Who? I gave you your answer. <laughs> as that quote went from that interview. By contrast, sixty-three percent of women believe that significant obstacles still make it harder for women to get ahead than men. Yeah. Republican. By the way, the number one obstacle? Men. Men. Republican men over the age sixty-five were more likely than other age groups in their demographic to believe that. Uh, believe in sexism, but only 28% of Republican men in that demographic believe sexism holds women back. Yeah. So 65 or 63, I'm missing my numbers up, Republican men over the age of 65 were more likely than any other age group in their demographic to believe in sexism. To believe in it. Yeah. Okay. Okay but only 28% of Republican men in that demographic believe sexism holds women back. So they believe in sexism. But they don't think it's sexism that's holding them back. Yeah, What do
2: they think is holding them back? It doesn't go into that.
4: Just women. (laughs) You're holding yourselves back. Democrats, on the other hand, were more likely to believe in the prevalence of sexism with 78% of liberal women uh, aged 50 to 60, 81% of liberal women older than 65 believing sexism still holds women back.
2: But can't we agree, though, that whatever happens... We all love each other. No, can't we just agree that there's there's racism in every human being. Yes. Regardless of color, you see through race. Regardless of sex, you see through sex. You see through nationality. Mm-hmm. There's nationalism. So the idea that none of us are biased, is a
4: it's a facade. It's a joke. I don't see color, Matt. <laughs> I, love, I love when people say that. I do too. I'm like, come on. I I see color. My kids
2: still don't understand why I like black licorice over red licorice. Oof. I'm like.
4: That's a tough one. I know. They, black they, licorice. They, they think I'm biased. And uh, just uh, as an update, a court ruled this week or last week that uh, Twitter is not legally responsible for the rise of ISIS. Oh, okay. So who, who the court decided that? Yeah. Okay, good. A family well, sued because their child was radicalized and they took oh. that Twitter wasn't doing enough to block that kind of content okay. from their service. So in that way, Twitter was responsible and the mm-hmm. judge went, uh, no. Well, I thought we already settled that. I thought Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton were responsible for ISIS. That was Donald Trump. He said they were the founder. Okay. Oh, they were the founders. He then backed up and said that they created a political vacuum that allowed for the rise. Okay. Of ISIS and with then the others pull out say George Bush created it. And others said it was George Bush's war. plan that Obama was falling through on when he pulled the troops out. Uh, yeah. At what point does ISIS become responsible for ISIS? Uh, right. Okay. Yeah.
2: Eh, it's easier to blame someone else. Usually. You know. Okay, we are going to take a break. When we come back, trust. The important role that trust plays in our lives. Who better to teach us than Stephen M. R. Covey, author of the book Speed of Trust... He's going to be walking us through how you can increase trust in your organization, in your life, in your family. Stick with us. This is The Matt Townsend Show, helping you become the good in the world. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Towns and Show. A little uh, of the fray for you right there. Trust Me is the name of that song, and who better to teach us this than the guy that wrote the book, The Speed of Trust? Uh, Stephen M. R. Covey is joining us. Honored to have him. He is a friend. He was my CEO of my of a company, Covey Leadership Center, when I used to work for him. He's just the coolest guy in the world. He wrote the book, The Speed of Trust. His dad, you may have heard of. He was a kind of a well-known guy and one of the best thought leaders, I think, ever. Um, he, uh, His dad was Stephen R. Covey, who wrote The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. But uh, Stephen then kind of glommed on to, I don't know if that's a good enough word, but he jumped onto this idea of trust as kind of the ultimate, it seems like, um, first of all, Stephen, welcome. Hey, so nice to be with you, Matt. It's so good, good to, see, to you. see you again. And we were talking about your son, Britton, by the way, who's killing it at the University of Utah.
6: You know, he's a, um, he came in as a true freshman football player. Yeah. 5'8. F- 5'8,
2: five, eight, five, eight times speedy, But like three times state <laughs> champ or whatever. Uh-huh. Incredible quarterback. And they put him at like a slot back or what they call slot it slot receiver yeah. and,
6: and a punt returner, kick uh-huh. returner. And um, killed it. The yeah. first
2: game, even.
6: Yeah, just it was so exciting to watch. And. I think he became kind of a fan favorite because yeah. he's this little guy. He's a tiny guy with and a huge heart, huge heart, a lot of courage, yeah. fearless. Yeah, and uh, takes punts when he shouldn't be taking I know, them. No, no, <laughs> exactly. And you're like no, 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 no.
2: And I mean, it, sometimes it doesn't go right, but it, but what's cool is he'll do it as a yeah. freshman.
6: Yeah, yeah, and and, and, That's and uh, awesome. so stepped into
2: a you know exciting environment, and and uh, and know, he left for an LDS mission for two years to Chile. Gave up this incredible career at football right there, goes for two years, he'll come back, be back on the team, but you got to be so proud. Yeah, really proud as a parent. It's, it's pretty exciting to watch. That's in, in fact, uh, the proud
6: dad moment is that uh, he ended up uh, making a couple of uh, fresh, first-team freshman, freshman All-American, All-American.
2: Yeah, teams. Oh my is! It's so pretty exciting. There's something about the Coveys, and uh you you get it. I think at a you're just a special family and John, I know John really really yeah. really well. We worked a lot. His uh, John is your uncle. Yes. Um but tell me about Speed of Trust because it's it's actually it's been out how many years? Um almost 10 years. I Came know. out in 2006. Yeah. And, but you you've kind of hit the nerve of what the real principle is, right? of yeah. everything we talk relationships we talk we talk productivity we talk effectiveness but the one of the kind of universal truths is trust if you have it there's advantages if you don't there's consequences Exactly, and and
6: the thing is, intuitively, we all kind of know it, yeah, don't we? Yeah, matter. everybody. But, but we look right past it. We too often ignore it until we lose it. Exactly. And then we become painfully aware of it. So my whole focus is on saying, look, don't wait until it's lost to become aware of trust. Right. Become aware of it now. Focus on building it, growing it, expanding it, extending it, and even in some cases, restoring it. Now, yeah, how can you can you restore? You can. It just how yeah well it's a good question and i probably get that question more than any other do you really can you restore trust and my answer is in most situations yes i'll acknowledge there might be a few where you right. can't where you know Ber- bernie madoff is going to have a hard time yeah, he's- restoring trust <laughs> right right because right. it's too egregious yeah. over too long a period of time but in most situations you can but here's the key principle you can't talk yourself out of a problem that you behave yourself I into. I love that, yeah. So the only way to restore trust is you've got to behave your way back into it. You that have will take to some change. Time. you got to change. Yeah. And it's got to be manifest and seen through your behavior, not just through your words, right. but through your actions, what yeah. people see over time. And But in most situations, you can restore it. And in fact, and sometimes you can even increase it yeah. after having lost
2: it. Well, and if you couldn't restore it, there's still a thousand other principles you could live. Absolutely, absolutely. Right. Be honorable, be respectful, be appreciative,
6: be grateful, be understanding. That's right. And and, and lead out also in extending trust to others. It's kind mm-hmm. of, a, there's a reciprocity to trust. Interesting. Yeah, and when, when you give it, people receive it and they return it. And when you withhold it, withhold it. So yeah. I work with leaders all over yeah. the world. And I find that the biggest reason why employees don't trust their management in a lot of kind of low trust cultures, low trust companies, mm-hmm. is first and foremost because the management doesn't trust the employees. Exactly, Yeah. And the employees watch them, say, you gotta watch right. them. And you know what, Matt, the employees reciprocate that distrust right back at uh-huh. the management.
2: They're trying to get us. Yeah. They're always changing the benefits. So you don't
6: trust me, I don't trust you either. But it, it can work the other direction too. You lead out as a leader with trust, you uh-huh. extend it smartly, now, yeah, know, yeah. I'm not saying a blind yeah, trust. Yeah, don't
2: be blind.
6: Yeah, but smart trust means clear expectations, High accountability to what we're extending trust on, but we trust people. We 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 demonstrate it. We show it, mm. and when people get that kind of trust, the vast vast majority are inspired by it. Oh and yeah, they rise to the occasion. They perform
2: better, and they give it back. Were you learning this as you were CEO at at Covey? Yeah, yeah, Leadership. absolutely. because you that that was the most I felt empowered employment I had ever had, where I knew they trusted me not blindly but if i blew it i knew i'd hear about it but i also knew they had my back yeah and you grew that enough to sell it off to i guess franklin quest yeah and i mean it, so you were just kind of working I, your way up that absolutely way. in
6: fact that's where kind of this this blinding flash of the obvious came to me that saying look this is not a little idea this is a big idea yeah. trust if you can increase trust in any relationship on a team in a culture with a partner customer it changes everything. Mm-hmm. And we all kind of intuitively know it, but we too often ne- neglect it or ignore it. But I, I began to see that not only was this a nice thing, it was an economic thing, Matt.
2: It wasn't just good stuff soft love love
6: it was it was financial we could put a value on it you know why because when there's high trust you can move faster and everything costs you less when there's low trust it takes you longer it costs you more that's a tax a low trust tax yeah and you can put an economic value on that and see that there's a high cost of low trust that's the speed that's 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 what i mean by the speed of trust and Uh, when there's high trust in a relationship then suddenly you don't have to check and verify and validate. You just move fast. You know it. They're you good. You know it. And it's the speed of trust. Nothing is as fast as the speed mm-hmm. of trust. Uh-huh. And and there's real economics to it. And the opposite is true as well. I mean, look look at what happened after 9-11. Yeah. You know, our trust or confidence in airplane travel goes down. Oh. Can't have that. No, you get frisked now. That's right. So we increase security <laughs> and credit TSA. Slows it down. It takes you longer, costs you more. But that's what you have to do when you lose
2: trust. Interesting. That's well, and have. standing in line to be searched makes you not trust right that, so you're looking through the line like oh yeah they're doing something wrong that, that that's the danger of a low trust world because you start seeing through
6: that lens <laughs> that's right we all we all none of us want to get burned no, right, and, and it can be dangerous in some situations like transportation that's why yeah, we it's do it. so important but the problem with a low trust world is Everyone starts to become more careful, more cautious, more guarded, more yeah. cynical, more suspicious. And that tends to perpetuate more of the same. And you can find yourself, you know, creating a vicious downward mm. cycle of distrust and suspicion, creating more distrust and suspicion. It's
2: so interesting. And that one of your great quotes um, is low trust cultures pay high taxes. Absolutely. They've, and that's the tax. The tax will be time, energy, money, resources, but all of that makes you less efficient.
6: That's right. And it, it
2: doubles the cost. It, yeah it
6: doubles the cost you know uh, when there's significant distrust, it literally can double the cost of doing business mm. and you have to take all these steps to compensate for it, which takes you time, costs you money. you also see you also see a loss in of people's engagement yeah. they' disengaged, yeah they'll turn over, especially performers performers want to be at a place where they're trusted totally, and when they're not, they'll go find a place where they are yeah and and you'll see. Um, you know the disempowerment, and you'll you'll see fraud, you'll see politics, and all kinds of stuff. Well, and cropping. your best
2: ideas will leave your company. That's right, because you don't trust me enough to grow them. So they'll leave the company. They'll they'll steal from the company. They'll the, slow. They'll sabotage. That's right. Those are all the low trust yeah. taxes.
6: But the good news, Matt, as you know, is that the converse is equally real. Totally, and high trust cultures empower people, they engage people, they inspire people, they bring out the best in people. It enables people to collaborate. You know, you can't collaborate with people that you don't trust. No, exactly. Can, How do you? Yeah, right. You can coordinate, right. but real collaboration requires a level of trust. And, and the real challenge for organizations today is innovation. Yeah. And you need trust ultimately to innovate. You got to mm. do a lot of other things too, but if people are afraid to make a mistake, afraid to take a risk, quick to point the finger of blame, you know, or skirt things, hide things, you won't innovate. You won't sustain
2: it. Wow. What does this, and I know you would want to be careful, but what does this mean about, like, presidency? Because trust is a big thing as we're looking at our presidents. You don't need to name names, but why? Why should the people care more about the trustworthiness of their candidate, or should they? Well,
6: absolutely. We need to have trust to have a democracy work. Think about it. And that's one of the challenges we have as a society today, is that um, you look at the data. Most Americans have lost trust in government. Yeah. And and um, and as a, a result, there's all this angst and anxiety about mm-hmm. it. And we're trying to figure out how to close those gaps. And I find whenever it comes to the political discussion. Um, people are so kind of jaundiced by their views. Their bias, so yeah. It's hard to ever talk names yeah. without offending half right. your audience. Oh, right. And, and, but the principles are, in a democracy, it requires a level of trust to really work the way it's intended to work.
3: Mm-hmm.
6: And, and, um, and you can't have trust without trustworthiness. And, and, that's, you know, and I, I call it credibility, which is, implies both the, the character yeah. side and
2: also the competence they side. They've got to have a clue. Yeah. but you got to be honest
6: you got to have both and if 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 you're honest but don't have a clue it's not going to work if mm-hmm. you if you're really competent but you're not honest or you don't care about people but we got to get another working. that's right yeah and so that combination of character and competence creates a credibility that's a foundation on which you can build the trust And then you add to it the behavior you know how, how people behave yeah do they talk straight tell the truth do they call things what they are but also do they clarify expectations do they keep their commitments they listen first. There's a variety of behaviors that help people build trust. And it's true in politics and well as well. But I find in politics the biggest challenge is is the counterfeit behavior. Oh yeah. It's the spin instead of the straight talk. Uh-huh. It's the hidden agenda instead of the transparency. Right. It's the over promising and under delivering instead of keeping commitments. And as a result, trust goes down. That's right. And there's data that came from G F K research out of Germany measured the least the most most and least trusted professions, 30 <laughs> countries, in 28 of the 30, the lowest was polit- politicians. Is it really? And it was second in the other two. Oh, my and, heavens. And uh, all around the world because it's just filled with this counterfeit behavior yeah. everywhere.
2: So it's interesting. Yeah. I guess there's this universal need to supposedly, I guess, play a role and fake it or over-promise, under-deliver. Yeah. And, it's like – apparently everywhere.
6: It is everywhere. And it's
2: kind of part of the culture in some environments and political environment. It's part of the culture. It's part of the culture. That's great. Um, We're going to take a break more with Stephen M. R. Covey, author of the book, The Speed of Trust, but really uh, just a gem of a human and um, lives. He'll hate to have me say this, but does everything he can to live what he talks about. Uh, We'll have more um, from this wonderful uh, guy, Stephen M. R. Covey. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. You got to trust yourself. And uh, we're learning how to do it today with Stephen M. R. Covey. Uh, Stephen M. R. Covey is the author of the book Speed of Trust and uh, married to Jerry Covey. How long have you been married to Jerry, Stephen?
6: Uh, 31 years this month. Ah.
2: I hear great stuff about Jerry. She's fantastic. She's clearly my better half. Best decision you ever made in your life.
6: (laughs) Absolutely, and it keeps paying dividends. (laughs) That's huge. How many kids again? Uh, We have five children. Five beautiful kids. From 29 down to 13 and how many grandkids? Three grandkids.
2: Isn't that the best?
6: Yeah, if I would have known how fun they were, I would have had them first. No, totally. <laughs>
2: I wouldn't have even gone through my kids. I would have had my own grandkids. <laughs> Absolutely. This is um this book that you've written 10 years old now. Million and a half copies sold, but it's in 22 languages and you have trainers now all over the world teaching trust. And again, it's not it, it seems so basic, but it it is basic because it's a principle but it is it is the thing. Yeah, it's so
6: foundational that we look right past it, but here's what we've done in our training work, kind of three main points. The first, we show that trust is financial, mm-hmm. not just some warm and fuzzy. Yeah. It's economic, you can put a value on it. Second, we show how it's really the number one competency of leadership needed today. Why? Because of how it affects every other competency It makes it better. It's a multiplier when you have it, it's a diminisher right. when you don't. yeah. And then third, we show how trust is a learnable competency. It's something you can learn and do and create and grow, not as a manipulative technique, no, yeah. but rather as part of who you are. You be, But you can become conscious and deliberate and explicit about building trust on purpose Yeah,
2: and getting good it's at it's it's it. It's learnable. It's not just inherited. That's right. And that's what we sometimes think, that he's just got good genes yeah. or he's a lot like his dad. But it's it can be learned it's like emotional it is emotional intelligence it's trust intelligence trust intelligence tq that's a great idea and and, you need to coin that well we have have you we actually have a a 360 profile called tq trust quotient
6: that's it it's trust intelligence and and it's learning how to build trust becoming aware of this and that you can build it on purpose Mm. through your
2: credibility through your behavior how do you do it i mean i know you have behaviors like 13 behaviors what what are some of the things that we should Like the low-hanging fruit almost that we could immediately start doing to impact trust.
6: Well, here's the first thing. The first thing is to look in the mirror and start with yourself because everyone – When it comes to trust, they look at everyone around them and say, yeah, they need trust. They need trust. Yeah. Oh, boy, she needs to hear this. She needs to hear this. He needs to hear this. That might be true. Yeah. But the best way we're going to help them hear it, let's model it. Let's lead out with it. It's kind of like the airplane analogy when it says when the oxygen masks fall down, put your own mask on first. Get it on. Yeah, that's right. And that's how trust works. It's inside out. So you start with yourself. And self-trust precedes relationship trust. Hmm. In other words, do I trust myself? And do I give to my team, to my family, to my partner, a person that they can trust? And if you start there, it yeah. becomes more natural, and abundant to build trust with others. But, but think about it, Matt. You'll have a hard time sustaining trust with anyone else if you don't trust yourself. Oh, no, totally. So self-trust is where you start. And if someone's saying, well, gosh, I'm struggling. And I,
2: you know, where do That's I start? That's the problem. I can't trust, trust myself. I can't do what I'm supposed to do.
6: Yeah. So here's a, here's a simple thing that each of us can start with. The fastest way to build trust with another person, with another person is to make them a commitment and to keep it. Make another commitment and keep it. Repeat that process, make, keep, repeat. Mm. You can build trust fast that way. Well, guess what, Matt? That's also the fastest way to build trust with yourself. Make yourself a commitment and keep it. Make another commitment, keep it. Repeat that process. Start with small things. It doesn't matter if it's big or anything. That's right. In fact, it's best to start with small things so mm-hmm. that you don't break it. Yeah. That you can. You're setting yourself up to win. Get up tomorrow morning. Yeah. I'm going to set my alarm of- at 6 and go exercise. Mm-hmm. And then I do it. And then I do it again and again. From that, you start to set, you get a sense of trust of self. That's a little thing. Yeah. But it starts to be, expand and you get a greater sense of clarity, integrity, and power. So learning to make and keep commitments to yourself is a great way to kind of get control of a self-control that, that lends itself to a self-trust. Mm-hmm. And, and you're really trying to focus on both your, your character as well as your competence, kind of both yeah. halves of the equation. And that's what I mean by start with self with your own credibility. And the more credible you are as a person, become as a person, the quicker, the faster you can build the trust. Mm. So credibility comes first or trustworthiness, you know, the character, the competence, but then you want to move into behavior and behavior is what we do, how we do it. So in Speed of Trust, I talk about 13 behaviors that are common to high trust people. Things like talk straight, demonstrate respect, create transparency, listen first, keep commitments, extend trust, just common sense Mm, things, but too often... We do the opposite, oh. where you know maybe we're we're instead of talking straight, we're lying. But more commonly, we probably do the counterfeit. Instead of talking straight, we're spinning mm-hmm. and twisting. Yeah. Instead of being transparent, we have hidden agendas, and we overpromise under deliver. Instead of keeping commitments, right. and that's what gets in the way yeah. of
2: trust. And instead of listening, you're you're preparing. You're to preparing your response. Your retort. Right. right.
6: Yeah. Instead yeah. of really understanding, real
2: mm-hmm. empathy and
6: understanding,
2: and. And so, You could it, actually just go through that list one at a time and just work on one a month.
6: Well, and that's kind of what we do is, is we say, look, there's all these behaviors. The, the, the behaviors are kind of like the Pareto 80-20 rule, mm-hmm. disproportionate in building trust or diminishing trust. And we look at the behavior, straightforward, you know, talk straight, you tell the truth, you build trust. The opposite, straightforward, you lie, you to What makes this hard is that counterfeit, the spin, the twist, the manipulating, the posturing. But you can kind of say, how can I get better at talking straight in a culture of spin? How yeah. can I do these things? And and you, and you can focus one behavior at a time and get really good at this and start to move the needle. Another key thing I find that can really help people is, is to declare your intent. And by that I mean, let people know what you're doing, but also why you're doing it. Mm. Always give the why behind the what. So it might look like this. You say, hey, team or family or friend, Here's what I'm trying to do. Here's why I'm trying to do it. Here's my agenda. I don't have a hidden agenda. I have an open agenda. I'm transparent, there's nothing to hide. If you do that, Matt, it affects how people interpret your subsequent behavior. And when you don't declare your intent, you know what?
2: People ascribe intent yeah. to you anyway, and and malicious intent, often maliciously,
6: yeah. or it could at, just
2: be ignorant. But yeah. they they're, they might protect themselves with maliciousness. At,
6: at best, they're guessing. Uh-huh, exactly. At worst, it's malicious, or, uh-huh. or they're projecting worst case or right, fears. Right. Don't have people guess. Tell them. Here's my agenda. Here's my motive. I'm open. I'm transparent. It affects how people interpret your subsequent behavior, mm-hmm. and you'll start to get the benefit of the doubt. You can start to build trust better and faster with people. So declare your intent as a leader, as a parent, as a, as a person in a relationship. And then when you're on the other side of the equation, always assume positive
2: intent there as a starting yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. Be, and, yeah, that's a character act, assume yeah, the best here. Until proven otherwise, right. it's just a better starting point. It seems too that if you declare your intent, you actually know your intent. So many times we, are, we don't even know what our real goal is it's it's a great test. beginning with the end in mind
6: it begins with the end in mind what is my intent declare it and if you'd be embarrassed to declare it because it's so self-serving then not let's then get bring rid of it. <laughs> more bring more mutual benefit into it yeah. bring more caring into it so yeah. that you wouldn't be embarrassed that's right that's so i i say declaring your intent is the best t- in test of what your intent really is that's true if that's you'd be true. embarrassed to declare it find more mutual benefit more yeah. caring bring that into it if you wouldn't be embarrassed, declare it. You watch what happens.
2: Well, then you also have to live up to it. So right. if my intent is seemingly pure, then I can't go ugly in the conversation following. That's right. You're everyone someone would standard. say, I thought this was our intent. It, oh, yeah, sorry. about yeah,
6: that. Yeah, it kind of elevates yeah. everything that we're trying to do. It makes you do. be transparent now. You're, and Transparency is one of the key behaviors that builds trust. This yeah. is a practical way of putting it into action. Declare your intent. I love that. You can do that all, every day. Mm-hmm. And you're not doing it as a technique to manipulate people, but no, as part of how you build trust as a human being. Mm-hmm. And 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 again, I can't put enough emphasis on assuming positive intent as a parent, yeah. as a friend, as a partner. I'll tell you just a yeah, quick story on this. My so my dad and my mom, my dad accidentally <laughs> left my mom on the side of the I road. I remember tell
2: this story up in Idaho, right? Up, up in Idaho, I was driving back from <laughs>
6: vacation, my mom was driving, this and my dad is great. was sleeping. My mom pulls over because she's tired, so my dad gets in to drive. He, he uh, <laughs> My mom gets out and she says, "Hey, can you put the chassis down so I can get in the back seat better?" She closes the door. My dad, when he hears the door slam, thinks that she's in the car because he's half asleep. Yeah. You know he, he just woke up. He starts to take off. My mom's chasing down the road, saying, hey, Steven, 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 come back. He just takes off on the road and, and leaves her, and then someone on the other side of the road sees this happening, calls the highway patrol to report that he just he saw just threw a man yeah. abandoned a woman on the side of the road, <laughs> oh, he just no. witnessed it. you know. And so the highway patrol comes, and you know <laughs> what happened, man? Well, my, my husband left me. But then she added, but he thinks I'm in the car. <laughs> that is and, great. And, and the highway patrol says, says, why would you think you're in the car? You're right here. No, no, trust me. You he don't know I'm my husband. <laughs> car. He thinks I've fallen asleep and he's trying to make really good time while I'm sleeping.
1: That's great.
6: <laughs> no, but she, you know, then they came back and they kind of realized what had happened. But my mother's starting point was not, you know, you what fool, a dummy. You jerk. Yeah. It was, he thinks I'm in the car. Beautiful. She loves my dad. My dad loves her, you know, when he's when yeah. he living. And, and, uh, and she assumed positive intent and it just changes things versus, you know, yeah, starting with that negative intent, yeah. and think of that with your kids as a parent. Think of that in a relationship. It's a better starting point until mm-hmm. proven otherwise.
2: Well, and imagine your dad when he gets he got pulled over, didn't he? is well, that he how came they found back. it? Oh, he did. They he realized. Him, they called, oh, that was him, it. Yeah. The highway
6: patrol <laughs> and called him and said, "Hey, Mister Covey, Hello? where
2: are you?" <laughs> and, and and he actually
6: said this. He goes, "Gosh, yeah, I don't know, officer. I've been." I've been asleep until about ten minutes ago. Here, let me ask my my wife. Where are we? And then honey? he turns around. Sandra, Sandra, where are we? Sandra? Oh, that's great. And and then
2: and then he all of a sudden says, "Hey, officer, my wife is missing." Because <laughs> no, he's yeah, not, I've got her she's right. right here. Did um, see what's so powerful though is he must have felt so ashamed and like embarrassed, maybe. But when he hears the story from her view, he realizes they lost nothing in this weird moment. Because of the trust. Trust was so high, it just efficiently was just a good story.
6: That's right. It became a funny story. They trust each other. There was positive intent. There never even was a moment of Isn't that beautiful? But, you know, if there's low trust in a relationship, talk about that. What do
2: you do if your husband has been a jerk for years and there is low trust? Yeah. How do we rebuild that? And to what degree do I trust and then realize – I, got, I guess some of it's just working on me. I got to get my stuff, myself strong enough.
6: That, that, that's why I always highlight that it's smart trust. Because, yeah. you know, in a relationship especially, someone could be too trusting right. where they're being taken advantage of and, you know, stepped on time and again, in which case that's not smart at some point. Mm-hmm. And, and um, but again, so first step, start with yourself. Even when the other person the primary mm-hmm.
2: offender. Because you need to grow. You need, right. to, you need to have the trust for whatever comes ahead.
6: That's right. And you'll gain, you'll gain more clout, more influence, more credibility if you start with yourself, yeah. your character, your competence. You'll have more influence and ability to affect another person. But then secondly, you might make a, a behavior-specific request of somebody where you might say, hey, with me – you know, just be open and transparent. It's better than having a hidden agenda. With be, you know, don't make me a commitment you're not gonna keep. It just works better that way. Yeah. And what I try to do is I try to separate the person from their behavior. And rather than attacking the person, instead I address the behavior and say, hey, you know what, talk straight, you know, be straight with me, yeah. be open with me. Tell me the truth, you know, come straight to me if you have a problem instead of going behind my back. I make a behavior specific request and I give people the space to behave their way out of it. Mm-hmm. Look, some, may not some can't they can't yeah. they're just not they trustworthy won't. they don't want to they don't want to go there and in a case like that you're not going to restore the trust no. and it just might be that there's a low trust relationship or maybe the relationship breaks up right but in other situations you're allowing people also the chance to grow to improve mm-hmm. and, and to say hey I am not my behavior I can choose to behave in a way that builds trust I wasn't aware I was behaving in ways that was diminishing it. sometimes they may or may not be aware but the point is you're trying to say trust is learnable yeah through our credibility, through our behavior,
2: and it's and it's necessary regardless. Absolutely, whether we save a marriage or not, whether we can close the deal or not, we—if you lose your trust, you lose what?
6: If you lose your trust, it affects everything else you're trying to do. It is yeah. a diminisher. It is a tax on everything you're doing as a person, as a leader, as a parent. Yeah. And and um, it takes you longer. It costs you more. But also, it has a debilitating effect. Yeah. On every aspect of your life. But I'm a Matt, I'm not Pollyannish on this, mm-hmm. naive thinking. You get you it. Just every, have trust everywhere. But I am a believer that we can behave our way into greater trust. And I, I saw it happen when, with my son. Yeah. When, when he turned 16, he was going to drive. And is this said, Britain? Yeah. No, this is actually <laughs> oh, okay. this is my Stephen, okay. my oldest. And yeah. he, he was excited to drive. This is a few years ago. And I said, my wife and I sat down with him and said, hey, driving's a privilege, not a ride. So we went through the rules, you know, be safe, go the speed limit, wear yeah. your seatbelts. Well. After 30, day, 30 days of driving, you know, it was a midnight on a Friday night. I hear the phone ring. My wife answers the phone. I hear her say, well, I'll let you talk, I'll let you talk to his father, officer. Oh, no. And sure enough, it's the, the police. He's been pulled over for speeding, as in going 83 miles an hour in a 25-mile-an-hour in a oh, zone. Oh, Steven. And, and uh, you know, he's a good kid. Yeah, he's a great kid. But he just had teenage judgment, you mm-hmm. know. And just he said, hey, Dad, I was trying to get home for a curfew, so I had to hurry really fast. <laughs> well, we played this thing out. We went to court. The judge fined him $555. We made him pay it, took away all of his savings. Yeah. But then the judge did not suspend his license, did not. So guess who did? You did. That's right. Dad, Dad and mom did. That's good. Why? Because we wanted him to trust us. Yeah. And we felt like if we didn't hold him accountable to what we mutually agreed to, yeah. he wouldn't trust us. That's And true. neither would his siblings. You know what? That was hard on him. He was embarrassed with his friends. It was hard on everyone. But after several months, he came back to me and said, Dad, I'm ready to drive again. I asked, are you clear about the rules? <laughs> he replied, I've never been more clear about anything in my life. <laughs> well, Matt has had a great end. That is He cool. became a model driver ever since. And we, how do we know? Well, we saw it, but we also heard from his friends, from his friends' parents. When they're going somewhere, their parents would ask, hey, where are you going? And they'd hear, don't worry, Dad, don't S- worry, Mom, Stephen we're Gr- going <laughs> with Covey. <And laughs> it's all good. We are driving way below the speed That's limit. You so know, we're, great. we're wearing seatbelts, this is no yeah. fun at all. But he earned that reputation. What he did was he behaved himself out of the problem
2: that he had yeah. Behaved behave himself and into. he became, he changed. He
6: changed. And the That's trust power. not only went
2: back to where it was,
6: it went yep. higher
2: than it ever was. And you facilitated it, that we can facilitate it by living it, by being it.
6: By living it, by being it, and by giving people a chance to yeah. behave their way back into it.
2: Stephen M. R. Covey. Folks, the book is The Speed of Trust. If you go to speedoftrust.com, you can find out more about it. Just You can find the book everywhere. Stephen, thank you. Great to be with Brilliant. you. Brilliant. Love you. You're awesome. Thanks. We'll take a break, folks. Come back and uh, wrap up the second hour of the Matt Townsend Show. Remember... There's good in the world. You have to go looking for it, or you can also become a part in creating it, as Stephen's been talking about. Stick with us. We'll be right back. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to The Matt Townsend Show. When you think about trust, as Stephen Mr. was explaining to us, It's really about you, and we talk about it on the show a lot. Every day, you're building your credibility. You're building up your character, your brand, as it were. And as we hear the stories now of, uh, you know, the U.S. swim team getting in trouble for lying, uh, we now even have headlines that uh, Ryan Lochtke is apologizing for, you know, lying and not coming clean on the story or not telling it as, uh, as accurately as he, as he needed to. It's about your own character, right? And a lot of times we feel that our, we can use our personality to overwhelm, to overpower. We see a lot of that going on, maybe even with Trump, where Donald even now knows he's not going to be able to win this by just telling everybody um, he's a great guy, at some point, who you are speaks so loudly, it's going to be more important. It's going to be a better communicator than, um, than anything you say. Who you are speaks so loudly, I can't hear the words you're saying. Have you ever heard that quote? So really, we have to have character. We have to have integrity. Uh, Jim Rohn once said, success is something you attract by the person you become. It's not just by telling everybody you're successful. It's not by talking about how great you are. It's about being a great person. And uh, if you want trust, which both of our leading candidates in this election are struggling with, you have to be trustworthy. To be trustworthy, you have to have character and you have to have competency. You have to have character and the ability to deliver with competency. When we see people that have that, we trust them. When we have the trust, it it really, it helps us become more, to do more, to be more, to reach more, and to change more lives. It's power. Power comes from character. It comes from living principles. It doesn't come from just your position or your popularity or how pretty you are. Anyway, a little food for thought for you. We'll take a break. Come back one more hour of the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. We'll be right back.
0: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter.
1: At Dr. Matt Show.
0: Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
1: This is the
3: Matt Townsend Show.
0: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio.
3: BYU Radio.
2: Welcome back to hour number three, folks. It's the 15th hour of the Matt Townsend Show in one week. (laughs) Which means it's almost time to just... Go to my office, shut the door, climb under the table, take my shoes off. Terry will come in, rub them for a minute, and then we go night-night.
4: Well, that wasn't in the job description. Mm-hmm. Oh, Don. Did Don not talk to you? Yeah, it's not happening. Okay. We'll get a student to take care of that. Yeah. Student! <laughs> <laughs> David? <laughs> Matt wants to see you in his office. That is so sad. Poor guy.
2: Poor, poor guy. We've got a great show for you. And because it's Friday, we like to do movies. Hmm. So we will be talking movies. Also, a story gone to the golden screen. Is that what it's called? The, the golden screen? The silver screen. Silver screen. It's going to be golden, though. Like what? Because we're going to tell a story about a goldfish mm. that then went to the silver screen, but because it's a goldfish story, it's going to be the golden screen. Is it like Nemo? Is this Finding Nemo? It's, it, it's Nemo on roids. Okay. So it's Matt, a it
3: up Nemo. The screen is silver. The silence is golden.
4: Ah. We can understand how you would see that as a conflict. Yeah. I don't,
2: yeah. I, there's, there's going to be a movie trailer we're going to play about mm-hmm. a story. Goldfish. One fish's journey. One fish's journey where eventually he cleared out an entire lake powerful. We'll get to that. That's going to be exciting. Plus, of course, Rod Gustafson will be joining us to talk about the movies and uh, the movie Ben-Hur that's coming
4: out. The movie I think nobody asked to be remade, but they did it anyways. That is coming back. Ben-Hur remake and Kubo and the Two Strings, an animated movie,
2: which is taking Getting great reviews. audiences by storm, but it will not beat the movie we will preview called Goldie. Crazy trailer coming up. We'll talk to Rod, we'll also do a little news flush as we just try to get rid of some of the stories around the weekend that we just we've been hanging on to all week. Also, um, you know, we might even get to talk to our good brother down at BYU Sports Nation. Hmm. Our good friends, find out what's happening on their show at the top of the hour. plus, we will unveil the hero of the day. All that for free, just by listening. We will now. Go to the headlines with Caitlin Thomas and find out what's going on around the rest of the country. Caitlin?
5: Thanks, Matt. Donald Trump's campaign chair, Paul Manafort, has resigned from the campaign. The move comes days after a campaign shakeup that brought two new members to the top of the organization, including Kellyanne Conway as a campaign manager and Breitbart chairman Steve Bannon. Donald Trump is in Louisiana today visiting flood victims. Ryan Lochte broke his silence this morning as questions swirled around his account of an armed robbery in Rio last week, apologizing for his behavior. Lochte tweeted out his apology saying, I want to apologize for my behavior last weekend for not being more careful and candid in how I described the events of that early morning and for my role in taking focus away from the many athletes fulfilling their dreams of participating at the Olympics. According to the U.S. State Department, the $400 million cash payment sent to Iran's government earlier this year was contingent upon the release of four American prisoners detained in the country. After the transfer was initially reported earlier this month, President Obama said there was no ransom paid for the release of the detainees, and the State Department said the money was used to partially settle an arms deal dating back to the late 70s. And lastly, Matt, I have an Olympic update for you this morning. What? Putting the final touches on his Olympic legacy Usain Bolt won the Olympic 200-meter gold gold medal last night in rio it was likely the last individual olympic race for the eight time gold medalist wow bolt crossed the line in 19.78 seconds making olympic history bolt who will turn 30 on sunday has repeatedly said that 2016 mm. will be his final olympics
2: mm. so we've lost it. We, i mean he comes and goes like lightning
5: <laughs> literally
4: thanks caitlin you're welcome wow he even pulled up at the end you could see when, he, he? when he was Did running, he, really? he had such a lead. He just sort of—you could see it wasn't as—it wasn't like full force. Right. He slowed down. He could have got faster, but he just—he kind of slowed down. Help me with this. Does he break world records at records every time he runs? Um. No, but he just he, is dominating the pack. He has most of the records, and uh, he's had a hamstring injury that he's recovering from. So I don't know if that's still something he's dealing with. Mm. But you can't really tell, and right? because he has a lead, he kind of slows down to enjoy it a little bit, and uh, not showboating. He's no. just not running full speed. Do you know? What, have I told you who he reminds me of? Um. Go ahead. When he runs with a little hammy problem,
2: yeah, uh, he reminds me of myself back mm. in my youth. No. When I used to
4: run. No. He he did two hundred meters in nineteen seconds. Yeah. You can't. I I drove that easily. (laughs) Right. You drove this morning. Sixty miles an hour. Seventy five miles an hour. Um It is interesting watching everyone prep for this race and then he just blows the doors off the place.
2: That's pretty dominant. That's cool.
4: I don't think he's done. You, don't think he'll, you think
2: he'll be mm-hmm. back? Sure. Mm-hmm. He likes, oh, yeah. Well, he why wouldn't you if you're dominating? Mm-hmm. Plus, it, he
4: could go win, what, three more? He it, could get up to 11. He still has another event he's going to compete in tonight. Really? Well, it's actually like today, but it's NBC. So tonight, when they show it, um, uh, it's some relay that he's in. He runs the final leg, I think, of the relay. Oh why doesn't boy. he just run it all by himself? He could. I think he'd be competitive. But. Can you
2: imagine, though, handing the baton, is that what they call it, yeah. to
4: to Usain Bolt? They're gonna, they're, they will win. You hope. Because they also have the other runner. Well, unless someone like, I don't know, you were running the, the middle leg. That's a great point. Yeah, and then they're like, oh, they'll never catch up. Look at that guy. What's he out there for? I think he pulled his plantar. <laughs> is that Matt with the plantar w- why problem? Why is he running in loafers? What is that? <laughs>
2: are those penny loafers what's going on holy cow his pennies popped out of his loafers when he was running that's so rude no need to be rude did i hear correctly that paul manafort is now yes he's he has
4: he's resigned from the trump campaign the pit boss has left the building but i didn't think there was a problem well he was uh, his job function title was kept yeah but his responsibilities were taken over by the guy from Breitbart, wouldn't wouldn't it seems like
2: traditionally if your campaign manager was having issues because he was being tied to Russian kind of well Ukrainian so tight oh yeah Ukrainian. Ukrainian
4: payments and it's like twelve million bucks. so if but, that's
2: happening wouldn't just a traditional campaign say you know what um, in an effort to not get entangled right. my life into this campaign I'm just going to step aside. And then we replace him with those other two people. Why do you need to pretend? Because they must have known. Sure. So why do all the pretending? Trump's a loyal guy.
4: No, but he obviously wasn't. He's loyal. No, he wasn't. That's why Corey Lewandowski, even though he doesn't work for the campaign anymore, may still be getting payments and frequently takes phone calls from Donald Trump while he's on set at CNN. Wow. So (laughs) now uh, this is interesting. Apparently that
2: it's there's a problem in the Trump campaign.
4: No. No, apparently. No, this is a pivot towards the future. Okay. There's no problem. And he did apologize. So They're that's... quite unified, as okay. Trump said, yeah. without any sort of question you asked know what? if you are. Let me just tell
2: you what I think they remind me of. What's that? So there's a guy in Ontario, Canada. Okay. That has been charged after being caught wearing a headlamp mm. on his forehead. Okay. You know, the little like, yeah, yeah, yeah. headlamps, mm-hmm. like for mining or what, uh, for caving and, you know. Yeah. Outdoor activities. Yeah. So he's driving his vehicle, but the vehicle didn't have headlights or a tail light. Yeah. And the guy's sitting in the car and he, <laughs> the, the, he's driving down the street, but he's got his headlamp on. So the cop thinks, oh, it's probably a guy on a bike. Yeah. But it's not. It's actually a guy driving a car trying to use his little headlamp to light the way. Mm. But the vehicle was clocked at 67 miles an hour in a 47 in a 40 mile an hour zone. Wow. Just using his little LED headlamp. Yes. And so, you know, with his little single little battery. <laughs> so he was pulled over. This is great. And the 35 year old man has been charged with speeding and operating an unsafe vehicle.
4: I'm going to do this tonight. Seems like a fail. Yeah, a little bit. Reminds think, me of the Trump campaign. A bit. First off, probably shouldn't drive without any operating lights on your vehicle. Yeah. It's Second, going with the headlight or uh, headlamp option probably isn't the best no. choice. If you, I mean, if you're going to do it, you ought to have two or three. Yeah, and probably don't speed and draw attention mm-hmm. to yourself while you're yeah. doing this. And maybe don't drive at night if your car doesn't have lights. That would be another choice. Don't move the car at night. Yeah. He should have just
3: taped his iPhones to the headlights. <sighs> Great idea. Turn on the flashlight really function. An idea. Yeah, that
4: part would be Just notice.
2: a little scotch tape so you could <laughs> see through it. He could have done the strobe effect on
4: it too. Oh, yeah. Then people would think he was a car, a cop car. Yeah. They'd start pulling over. <laughs> you know... Uh, There's so many things here he could have done differently. Right. And we don't want to disparage people from being creative. Just don't do it on the highways and byways of North America luckily it was in canada yeah so. stay far away from me
2: <laughs> <laughs> we've got no problems there did you hear about the man by the way uh this is our bad boys segment of the show bad boys, bad boys. What you
4: gonna do? if you're what going you to break the law plan ahead yeah think through uh, what you're trying to so plan, many criminals don't plan And you can tell through the execution. An ounce of prevention Mm.
2: is worth a pound of cure. Wise words. It's my grandma used to say. Police in Tennessee are looking for a man, they say, robbed a Nashville gas station while covering his face with toilet paper. Huh. That that was his mask. Yeah. The man entered the gas station just before 2 a.m. He went into the bathroom. Hey, can I use your bathroom? And then he went in there, grabbed (laughs) a bunch of toilet paper, covered up his face.
4: So he went into the place he was going to rob. Probably got the key. Yeah, couldn't borrow that big key? Hooked to the tire. And then he went out to the restroom, covered his face in toilet paper, and then came back in. Yeah, it sounds... Did he hand them the key? By the way, here's your key. (laughs) Here's your key and Uh, the money, please. Give me all your money.
2: (laughs) What's with all the toilet paper on your face? He used it to cover his face. He pulled out a gun, demanded money from the clerk. No other customers were at the gas station at the time of the robbery. Police are reviewing the store's surveillance video, hoping to get a frame (laughs) of the man's face. Before he covered it with toilet paper. When papers. he came in to get the yeah. key. I need the key. This is great. What do Please you need? Please
4: don't squeeze the Charmin. Yeah, exactly.
2: It's a great rule. So, honestly, what could a mask cost?
4: <laughs> Go to the Army-Navy store, the surplus or, store, or grab yourself a mask. Walk in the store next door. Don't walk into the store you're going to rob. Yeah, or bring your own toilet paper. Yeah, plan ahead. That's why I always keep a roll in the trunk. Or... You know, pull your shirt over your head or something. I mean, any number of things would have been a better choice. How about just don't rob the store? Well, that's the first better choice. I mean, know. if you're really going to get technical, I don't want to be negative. This might have been one of those trains that already left the station by the time you figured yeah. out what to do. Now, um, crazy story that you won't believe: hmm. uh, an unwanted pet
2: goldfish, okay, has grown to the size of a football huh. in Australia.
4: Say what? Did it, I know. Gr- did it grow teeth?
2: Yeah, it's ugly. Goldfish are native to Eastern Asia, but now are a common pet around the world. Yeah. And this is for parents out there. Be careful what you do with your goldfish. See, we've never had to flush one that was alive because ours all die.
4: <laughs> yeah. But the problem is it's a starter pet. Right. You get it, it, you know, it dies, and you flush it. According to the story, uh, goldfish have a, a, li- a memory of about four seconds. Yes, and then the story was we have a memory that's less
2: than that. Yeah. But it's actually yeah, I think uh Microsoft did a thing that yeah, like it's 11 seconds or something. Yeah. Anyway, the this fish has grown to the size of a football. And hmm. I didn't know this, but Jeff's like, "Oh my heavens, I've heard of a movie about this." Uh-huh. Yeah, they they've already put together a trailer for it. That's great. It's, so it's a movie about but uh, about a fish what? Just a little goldfish. It's what happens to the goldfish. Well, do you want to hear it? Will we have
3: the trailer. Yeah, we we can watch it and listen to it at the same time. So when's the movie coming out? Uh, Christmas Holy 2016. God. Christmas. This is
2: exciting. Okay, yeah. What's the name of the movie?
3: Goldie. <gasps> okay, let's listen to the trailer. Billy, where's Goldie? Well, Mom, I put him in the lake. I thought he'd be much happier there. Billy, we just got you that goldfish. And besides, I don't think you should be dumping things in the lake. Don't worry about it, Mom. What could go wrong? Billy thought he was doing his fish a favor. Descending fisher. It's at least
7: 200 feet, Novak.
3: But what Billy didn't know was that once established, self-sustaining populations of alien freshwater fishes often thrive and can spread into new regions, growing to the size of footballs. Sam? Something bit me! Sam, what are you seeing down there?
4: It's like this body's been in the water for weeks.
8: I wanna know what this thing is doing in my lake.
4: The sheriff has declared an emergency. Goldfish hunt in packs. The first bite draws blood. The blood draws
3: the pack. (laughs) This Christmas... Little Goldie's not so little anymore. (laughs) He's out of his bag. (laughs) Now he's out for revenge. Goldie, this ends now! (laughs) Goldie, the goldfish the size of a football.
4: Wow! Whoa! Goldie's not My happy. Heart is racing. <laughs> Goldie.
2: First, they draw blood. One draws blood, then and they, that draws the other. He's out of his
3: bag. Now he's out for revenge. And they draw a the pack. <sighs> So
4: if you See oh. that's it. I didn't know they hunt in packs. Oh, goldfish are Yeah. yeah wow. They're packed. Size of footballs. They're packed pets we Yeah. It. Wow. You know what's scary?
2: This is great because you haven't had a really good movie out like it's almost like Piranha, like those remember those old movies Piranha yeah. and it's now you got Goldie. This could be a series. Could be. You know Goldie too. It's actually
3: Goldfish. Cloud Goldie the goldfish the size of a football. Oh. They wanted to differentiate it between the old 1930s movie, Goldie.
2: Oh, yeah. Goldie. Uh, about that Yiddish. Yeah. Y- you remember. Yeah. It,
3: no,
4: because yeah. I, I, why, you think I was here in the 30s? They could also go the direction, like, The Fish That Ate Pittsburgh. Is that what that movie was called? Remember that way back when? But I, I they probably need to rename it. Goldie sounds so soft because this,
2: that trailer this is a devil fish. Well, that's the point. You,
3: you lure them in with a soft title. Yeah. And then you make them jump out of their seats once you see what that goldfish can do.
2: I've heard a lot of talk about <laughs> what they're calling like the orange threat.
4: Okay. That's something else. Oh, it's not Goldie the goldfish? No, it's Trump. Oh. It depends on who you read. Okay. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Oh, he is the orange threat. Okay. There you go. Yeah. I thought it was the, okay. So, whew, okay, we, we're, that goldfish. Woo! I've got the chills. Um, I'm going to have to ask Rod about that because we, Rod knows movies. We'll have him review it in, at Christmas time. We'll take a break, folks. Rod Gustafson, up next. <laughs> Scary. Rod will be talking about a couple movies. Not Goldie, by the way. The football-sized goldfish. Stick with us. We're almost there to the weekend, folks. Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show because it's Friday. We like to get to uh, – To the movies, right? And who better to help us understand what movies are are going to be best for our families. But Rod Gustafson from parentpreviews.com. Rod is a film critic specializing in reviewing movies and media from a parent's perspective. And they have a wonderful website. If you go to parentpreviews.com, great place to go get all the information you need about the latest releases. Rod, thank you so much for being with us. You are welcome. Did you hear about our trailer that we just were able to play? Of you know,
1: I I missed it. I've been listening to the show all morning. Have I heard you? a great interview with, with Covey and yeah. everything else. And then, yeah, I I started studying down on movies oh. again and turned it off. That's Darn it. Time. I'll listen we, to the replay because it's yeah. always available it's, on, on the BYU radio website.
2: See, so you know, you know, but you got to go listen to it. It's about Goldie, the goldfish the size of a football.
1: A football. I've
2: and, heard that that's
1: happening. Yeah in fact there are even some municipalities now they're telling people you know quit disposing of your goldfish down the toilet exactly. in the in the rivers and streams yeah well
2: i yeah. think after they see this they will they'll know why it's kind of of the genre of like piranha. <laughs> yeah it's it's fantastic anyway go yeah go back and listen to it you were going to talk to us about two new movies out ben hur is it's back it I, is. Was it backed by popular demand?
1: <laughs> you know, I, I don't think so. No. In fact, I, I sometimes I feel, what's the word I'm looking for? You can't feel sorry for a movie. It's hard to feel sorry for a big movie studio. But this movie was getting so much negative uh, buzz even before it released from people saying, well, this is ridiculous. You know, we're going to hate this movie. And it's been tracking very poorly. And tracking is the word the industry uses when they, they do all sorts of exit interviews and focus groups and everything to try and determine how much money a movie will will make before it releases. And um, so I must admit I even I I was I was trying to shed off that bias when I went to the screening of it, but and, and maybe that's what left me pleasantly surprised. Mm. I, I actually I really enjoyed it. My wife and I went to see it and Donna has a full review on our website. Um, it, it really, it comes across very well, you know? It, so, I mean, we pretty much all know the story. It really is, for the most part, the same story. And, uh, and you know, about about a man who is a Jew, and he, in this case... Is Ro- the Roman person uh, Masala is not just a friend, but he's an adopted brother. I think in the old movie it was a friend. I can't remember. It's been a long time since I've seen that movie. But in this case, he's an adopted brother, and uh, the two of them get along just like peaches and cream. But then <laughs> things start happening, and and Judah Ben Hur. Gets uh, falsely accused of a crime, very similar to what happened in the last film, and uh, and so he winds up becoming a, a Roman slave, and he gets sent to row the big the big ships that go into battle. With oh Greece, yeah, and that's in the old film too, and and then of course the the pinnacle moment going to be the big chariot race and all that's there as well. So so it, all of that happens, but here's the big here's the big twist. I'm going to give it away mm. a little bit here. This is this movie is much more about forgiveness, and I really like that. I like the fact, and I don't want to totally give away the ending, but this is a different rewritten ending. And um, to me, that really, um, from a uh, that really was a positive message, and I think a message that we really need these days, because you know originally uh, Judah Ben Hur is out for revenge; he wants. He wants justice, and then he instead things start to change. And a lot of that change comes from the other thing that's different in this movie is the role of Jesus Christ plays a more prominent role in this film. Um, we actually even see his face, and he is more. When I say prominent, he certainly isn't center to the story, but he plays an incre he plays a a greater role in determining the events that are going to happen. Yeah. And I thought it fit together quite well. Now, this one's two hours long. I'm, I think I've got a little bit ADD, Matt. When I go to a movie, if it's over two hours long, there better be a good reason. And I've always felt, I know this is almost like criticizing the Bible, but I've always felt that old original Ben Hur from, from the 1950s was... Just too long, yeah. and I found, you know, I when I watch it, you know, I I think, okay, where's the fast forward button? This one feels just about right. And the chariot race, I, I'm reading a lot of other critics saying, oh, you know, it's the CGI chariot race. Well, they <laughs> actually have um, the studios released a number of you know extra feature videos showing that they shot this race with it, most of it. Well, they they don't say all of it. But a good portion of it, a portion of it is shot optically through the lens.
2: Oh wow! And
1: uh, and it's an amazing chariot race. The uh, the boat scene where they're rowing the boats and and they're you know, they're being hit and they're going under the water, just incredible. Wow. And, and so this movie still holds up, in my opinion, very very
2: well. You know, it's because I remember I thought at the time being tortured by my parents making me watch these movies. <laughs> um, it's it's also interesting though. Because it has such a good message of forgiveness that it's not getting a better rating. Yeah, I'm surprised, too. Or, like, reception.
1: Yeah, yeah, because really, overall, I think on Rotten Tomatoes, it's around 30%, maybe even less. I can't remember. I checked it yesterday. Um, And I'm surprised at that, too. I will boldly say that, you know, as soon as you put religion in the movie theaters, most mainstream critics... I don't know what it is that they're looking for. I think they immediately feel like they're going to be propagandized or something. I don't know. I, I don't know why we can have many other messages that get repeated ad nauseum in popular culture. But for some reason, you bring religion into the picture, and uh, and for a lot of mainstream critics, they're they're just going to have problems with it. So I am accusing... <laughs> many of them, as as going into the film with a bias. And and I also think there is a great sense of why would you need to remake Ben-Hur? And that's a legitimate question, um, because the old film was a very well-made movie, even though I felt it was too long still. I mean, that's a solid piece of cinema history. And I understand why people feel that way. But at the same time, I felt like this one did actually bring... It actually brought something hmm. new to it, and I quite enjoyed it. The director, by the way, and I won't even begin to try and, and pronounce his name, he's made all sorts of um, vampire and zombie movies, and that's the other reason I thought, oh, how is this going to work out? But it actually comes out, comes out very well.
2: Yeah. Talk about uh, the other movie, Kubo and the Two Strings.
1: Okay, now this one is a little bit more... This one's just a little bit different. It would be hard to believe, actually, that this movie is coming from an American company. And it is. It's an animation company in Oregon. They uh, released a movie a few years ago called The Box Trolls, which had... I didn't like the story much. had amazing animation. And here's Kubo and the Two Strings. I didn't like the story much, but it has amazing animation. It's... um. It, it's based on a Japanese legend, and uh, it gets into a lot of uh, a, what Adele's, it delves. My wife explained it to me on the way home, Matt. This is one of those movies <laughs> I'm glad we had a half hour on the freeway <laughs> so she could tell me what really happened. And it's got a lot of symbolism and metaphorical messages about Japanese uh, uh, spiritualism or Shinto spiritualism and that type of thing, and it, which I would find quite interesting. I love learning about other religious cultures and, and how those things work and everything else. That wasn't the problem. The problem was, I'm going like, so who's this guy, and why is this happening, and what does this mean? And so if you're a dummy film critic like I am, just enjoy the animation because visually it's really quite excellent. Um, but if you if you have a PhD brain like Dr. Townsend, oh boy, here, you yeah, know, like then you'll go into this and be able to write a ten-page no uh, film, yeah, yeah, yeah deconstruction. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's an amazing film. Put simply for parents, you know, if you've got. If you've got children, um, and probably older children, that would appreciate the animation and appreciate a story that is much more of a symbolism, you might really like it. And some of the kids I was watching with it last night in the theater, uh, they were laughing and enjoying it. It does have some humor and some comedy to it as well. For little kids, though, it's going to be downright scary. There are a couple of scenes in there I thought, boy, I'm going to be dreaming about this tonight. So, Mm. you know, just not necessarily not gory, but just
2: frightening. Man, so and th- that again is being really well received out there.
1: It is. It is. This is a, this is a movie critics are going to like. I suspect that this will be nominated for an Oscar for best animation. It's on that level. Uh, technically, an amazing film. And uh, and you know, again from a from a parent's perspective um there, there wasn't a single profanity that i remember in the movie maybe a little bit of name calling the biggest issue with it is there are there are scary moments and there's some fighting that goes on and that type of thing as well and uh you know the violence is certainly it'll be in our c grade area but overall we're giving this one a b grade and uh i i trust my wife she liked it more than i did and uh like i say it's a lot of symbolism they tell you at the very beginning, pay close attention, and, yeah, make sure you got the popcorn, because if you leave in the middle of this one, you're going to come back dazed and confused.
2: Really? Okay. That's great. I mean, to have such a, a two fairly safe movies to go watch.
1: Yes, yes, both these movies, yep, yeah, definitely. You know, probably not the the, the eight and under, and, may, and it, for sure the six and under crowd get a babysitter, but uh, either of these movies could be uh, a good choice this weekend for family viewing
2: well you did it again rod and just get ready for christmas because that's when they're releasing goldie the goldfish the size of a football you're going to want to pay attention to that
1: i cannot wait you know that <laughs> thing should be on video in time for halloween because oh that, that sounds like it's that's scary and it's orange that's so scary it's gonna fit movie.
2: well rod we Don't appreciate live. you keep up the great you know, work Matt,
1: yeah, and it's
2: because of Goldie the Goldfish. They're putting lights in the toilet bowls these days. Oh, that is so true. <laughs> I'm so, I was trying to figure out why they were doing that. That always seems strange. Yeah. Thank you, Rod. Take care. And everybody, go check out the website, parentpreviews.com. They're really making your job a lot easier when it comes to media and parenting. Stick with us. We'll take a break. Come back, do a quick little media flush, little news flush. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Boy, what a day, what a what a show. We've only got a few minutes before we bring in the good brethren from BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's on their show at the top of the hour. But before we do that, uh, Terry's got some, some news we got to run through. The Los
4: Angeles Rams, right? Yes. They're new NFL oh, football team. that sounds weird to say that again. They have a new element, a new star they're saying a practice really remote control tackling dummies cool from what i saw the dummies move forward and backwards so basically you'll have a target and they move to help you adjust in what i guess your more more game sort of live tackling instances and um the personnel put them out there they played with them for a while just trying to test them out then they let some linebackers and safeties and wide receivers hit them and that kind of thing but the coach said if anyone Gets trucked by the dummy. <laughs> I mean, if they get knocked down by the dummy, yeah. they're, they're cut. If this dummy, yep. oh boy, that is scary. What <laughs> you if you just cut. trip on a shoe? If we just can't have this. We can't have someone getting knocked down by a remote-controlled dummy. So They're trying to add technology have to the Have they not heard room. the Roomba story? they only need to look that up. McDonald's replaced, uh, for a time, their toys with fitness trackers and Happy Meals. Okay, wow. They're, they're having to flip that back for... Maybe a moment, uh, for a while, maybe permanently, we don't know yet, but the, uh, the apparently the wristbands on the fitness trackers were causing skin rashes, <laughs> so they have to take those off the market. Darn it. And a new survey of 500 men by the Cleveland Clinic found that most men have no idea even when to do routine tests, such as have their blood pressure or cholesterol checked. The research further found that 40% of men won't go to their annual checkups. Part of the problem stems Mm. from men's unwillingness to talk or learn about their health. Only 7% of men said they would willingly talk to their male friends about health issues. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, cancer's not that bad. Almost 20% of millennial men and 7% of baby boomers had no idea what a urologist is. (laughs)
2: What is it? You're, it doesn't sound very good. Women does,
4: typically it? are much more open to discussing health issues. Unsurprisingly, about 20% of men responding to the survey said they went to the doctor <laughs> just to get their wife or girlfriend off their back. Okay. <laughs> Honey, that growth on your arm is pulsating. And by the way, single men have a mortality rate 27% higher than men who live with someone else. Exactly. You know, because that someone else will keep nagging them. To get to
3: the doctor. That's right. It's annoying, but they Uh, do. If you could know when you were going to die, would you want to know? No. No. And the doctor won't tell you that.
4: I like to be surprised. Oh, is it right now? Really? It's over? We're dying now? I was really enjoying what was happening right now. I didn't even get to finish my Netflix series. There's goldfish the size of footballs, and I'm going to die? That's ridiculous. (laughs) What a horrible Would you want to know, Jeff? Um, no. Me either.
2: No. No. Surprise me. Just let it sneak up on you. I mean, if I if I knew I could, you know, it would be fun to kind of know when other people are going to die. do
4: Invest. Invest? I could.
2: <laughs> Wager some way? Yeah. I'll bet you 20 bucks. <laughs> okay. That... By I'll the... bet
3: you your car. By the way, I think that movie Goldie is now on the list of. 1,000 movies to see before you die?
2: Is it really? Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. It's more of a spectacle. And it's actually surprisingly high on the list. It's like
4: must-see TV or silver screen. not really for the script or the acting. It's more just for the goldfish the size of a football. But and the intensity of that goldfish. Yeah. And I, again, we learned a really important lesson on the show today.
2: Goldfish travel in packs. That's good learning, folks. Very good learning. Speaking of packs, we'll be right back with two uh, the BYU Sports Nation pack. Find out uh, what's going on there on their show. Plus, I want to find out what their favorite Olympic moment has been so far. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show wrapping it up. We'll be right back. everybody. Liar, liar. Liar, liar. Your Speedo is on fire. As we shoot it down to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation, nobody has put out more Speedo fires than these two. Spencer Linton and Jason Shepard. Hello, gentlemen. You continue to amaze me with the amazing... Introductions that you <laughs> make know. up for us
9: each and every day, man.
0: <laughs> you take me back to my high school swimming days.
2: Were you a high school swimmer? I was. Okay, so help us understand the psychology of Lock, Lockkey, Lockkey, Lock, key, Lock, T, L- Lock, T. Yes. What's he doing?
0: He's <laughs> He's got some issues.
2: Yeah. He's, Just, yeah.
0: It's way honestly, it is, it's one of those situations where. Just telling the truth is, you know, much easier dealing with those small consequences than lying about it and it turning into something gigantic, which it has. I'm going to cite a
9: quote from one of my media icons, Colin Cowherd. Okay. He said, in regard to yeah, follow this rule. Always don't go where you shouldn't go. And don't do what you shouldn't do. Great.
2: Hashtag lock tea. That's great. That's great advice. <sighs> Hashtag then if you don't do that first bit of, inf- or of advice, don't make up a story and tell your mom about it.
9: Oh.
2: Yeah, it, it just went south, didn't it? And well, in it's a way. Just,
9: it's so weird. Yeah,
2: it is weird. And it taints, it taints him, you know?
9: And Brazil's
2: mad because they're
9: like, look, we we don't want everybody to remember the Olympics for it was dangerous and it was right. crazy. And the American Olympians were, in, you know, they were in peril.
2: Yeah. They, yeah. It, it, it's a safe place unless you vandalize a bathroom. <laughs> yeah. Sure those, people thought Lochte was kind of a, a joke to begin
9: with. Yeah, yeah. In a weird place. Like, why are you there?
2: But don't you think it's hard to be Lochte anyway? Because you're always the second fiddle to the biggest name in the olympics
9: yeah i get it i mean i, I understand that part of it but he's not doing himself any favors with this stuff no. and also showing up with bleach blonde hair which was dyed
0: blonde or dyed blue by the chlorine in the water well is that what happened <laughs> yes yeah it, it it turned i think he said it's it turned like three different colors you know like what? It, it went through its phases of being different colors i think
2: we solved the pool going green problem yeah it was Lotkey.
0: Yeah, he was, his hair.
2: He kept his hair.
0: How old? How old is Ryan Lochte? Is he thirty-two?
2: Yeah, yeah, early thirties. What, what are you? What are you doing anyway? What? I he's, don't know. He's got the rest of his life to, you know.
0: Like you should be. Like you should. Not that you should ever have vandalizing days, <laughs> but your vandalism days should be over when yeah. you're in your
9: thirties. Yeah. I have way, an idea. We just won the silver medal, bros. Let's, uh, let's go vandalize a bathroom.
2: Yeah. When you're my age, the idea of vandalizing isn't even an option anymore. <laughs> because you're like, I've got what? Do I want to get home or do I want to vandalize something?
0: Yes. Do I want to go get a nap in? <laughs> I've only
9: got or so much vandalism. Energy.
2: Hmm. That is so sad.
9: By nature, I give people the benefit of the doubt. And so at first, I was like, okay, maybe something really did happen and let's hear them out. Yeah. And it's no. just. It's just getting worse and worse and worse and yeah. he's recounting different stories and should, it's
2: Should we move to another story that's happier? Uh, sure. Please. Did yes. you hear about the the Hel- uh, Helen Maroulis, the wrestler?
9: Oh, who uh knocked off like the superhero wrestler, yeah, the number upset. one
2: wrestler of all time mm-hmm. in the female uh weight class that she's in.
9: This is Rulon Gardner exactly. all over again. Yeah.
2: What a cool story. And yeah. she was just so surprised and shocked. Hard work. And again, female wrestling, It's you know she may not come home and have a great career. I don't know if they do a lot of professional <laughs> wrestling gigs anymore. This
9: say. is what makes the Olympics great. This yes. is
2: their moment to shine. Yes. It's cool. Yeah. That's cool. Those are the stories
0: that you remember from Olympics. Yes. I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on. But more than maybe the times or the scores, you remember these stories. Those mm. are the things that last.
2: See? See? I knew you guys would bring the, the good spirit in on it. What uh, You guys still doing your show, though, right?
0: Of course we are
9: doing our
2: show. I, I keep thinking. I, I, I assume it's going to happen every day still. But what I, if
9: kinda...
0: one of these days
2: <laughs> Spencer's like, like, nope, we're, no, we're done? We're I always out. joke that I'm going to do that. We
0: just came in to do this radio hit, and then we're leaving. <laughs> yeah.
2: You guys got up early to get in to do the hit. Hey, what's on your show today? Oh, you know, sports stuff. But. Is there is there anything <laughs> about football or anything? Ah, uh, there is.
9: In fact, two weeks from tomorrow, Matt Townsend. What? BYU football opens the season. <gasps> wow. And they might do so, in fact, I am predicting they will do so in front of a BYU majority crowd in Arizona. No way. This, yeah. Angels from heaven. I'm telling you what, this is, beca- this is becoming like a national story because ESPN's Jake Trotter chimed in on this, a few other national sports guys, when uh, Ath- Arizona's athletic director Greg Byrne said, Yeah, we've, uh, uh, we've got some ground to make up on our counterparts and ticket sales.
2: Are you kidding? That's the game crazy. is two
9: hours north of Tucson. Yeah. I love BYU fans so much. Are you paying attention, Big 12?
2: Notice we can okay.
9: fill stadiums. So that's fun. Also, there was a second false scrimmage yesterday. Our headlines coming out of that, what we learned. And what does that make you do with this question? Mm. Which position group are you most confident in 15 days away from the BYU football
0: season?
2: Quarterbacks.
9: See, that's the easy answer, Yeah, right? that's,
0: that's the one I think most people go to. That's Hold the easy the, answer. Hold uh, on.
2: Tight ends. Oh, stop it. Five deep. Um, <laughs> what else? Linebackers. Okay. okay. Uh-huh. It's a 3 guest day on the show, too. Oh, there they are. Man, I should probably get a gold. Mm. Yeah. One. Just don't go vandalize. Just don't go vandalize anything. But if you do, dye your hair. And
0: that's lie it. about it. That's Remember what I the learned. the advice.
9: Remember the advice. Man. Always. Don't go where you shouldn't go and don't do what you
2: shouldn't do. <laughs> Colin heard. That's good. That's good advice. That's really good advice. Um, well, anything else? Oh, uh, just some advice to you two. Okay. Because we just did a, sto- a story about how men don't want to go get help at the doctor. You guys need to go see the doctor. Both of you, promise me you'll have physicals this month.
0: Why do we need to do that? And I you just... know something we don't know?
2: Yeah. You're,
9: making, you're worrying me.
2: You know that growth on your arm that keeps <laughs> oh. pulsating? <laughs> Seriously, it's got to yeah, be Yeah, I got to get that. that checked out. No, men don't go get, apparently, according to a new study, we don't. Only 7% of men say they will willingly talk to their male friends about their health. So I'm changing that.
0: Do you even remember the last time you went and got like a checkup? I don't yeah. even mm-hmm. remember. Maybe a couple of years ago. Yeah, like Something at like least. least.
9: You guys, okay. You, All right. You've convinced me, man. Okay, Matt.
2: that's it. And I got to let you go, but here's the deal. I'll be checking moles from three to five today. so so if you have any moles send them up
0: okay
2: three to five yeah three to five we'll i'll end i'll end the show on that so on the calendar have a good show today knock (laughs) them dead and when you guys when you guys are shaving and waxing to get ready look for any you know weird moles
0: yay
2: (laughs) have a good one guys (laughs) thanks Thanks. knock them dead it's always good to end on a mole story that's uh, that's the way you do it. Now, I got to talk about it for just a minute, about this men and um, they won't go get advice. They won't go get medical help. They need to get medical help, and they won't. And according to the study, single men have a mortality rate 27% higher than men who live with someone else. Another study we looked at recently shows that if a man is having a heart attack in front of his f- family or with people— He's more likely to get help than if he has the heart attack on his own. Because if he's on his own, he'll just think it's like heartburn.
4: I watched this show. It's about people fishing in Alaska. Yeah. Oh, I love that one, shit. one of the captains had a heart attack. He's sitting there with a the TV crew and they're like, yes. "You need to get some help." And he's like, "No, oh, it's <sighs> just it's just tightness in this area in the center of my chest. It's and I it don't even know. It might just beats down my arm. <laughs> it might just be a muscle spasm in my arm. I'm just yeah. He's like, "Oh, my arm ah. really hurts." And you're like, "Dude, you need to and he, Oh, I'm fine. I'm I fine. had a lot of tuna." <laughs> Isn't that funny? So they instead
2: of getting the help, they just kind of rationalize it. And that's way. when my wife looked over and go, "You need to go see a doctor." Is that when she said it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, she's been seeing a doctor. She's probably seen a doctor this year twelve times
4: or more. She went yesterday. Took my kids. See, that's a heart the thing.
2: Beat. Women go all the time, and it's that's probably why they have the babies. The rest, that no babies would live if it were up to the men. It's <laughs> pathetic. You it's sad. Anyway. um... So a little just advice. Everybody, go truly, seriously. Get the help you need. Do it. Do it. Also, watch the Olympics this weekend. It's the big wrap-up, right? And uh, is it it already? Man. Or Sunday, I believe, is closing ceremonies. That's a great little family activity when NBC can
4: show you all they've done. Tape delay it, and then here's all the... You know, pieces we put together, and here's our sappy music, and but it's yeah. great, it's great, it's wonderful. So go check that
2: out. Spend some time with your family, and um, again, you can go find us on BYURadio.org, on iTunes, on TuneIn. It's a great time to go catch up on all of the last shows we've done. We've just finished. This is our fifteenth hour of the week, so it just doesn't end. You could you, you could listen to us the entire time. You're taking care of your yard, you're mowing the lawn, whatever. Now. As we end every show, we like to end with a hero story, and our hero is the former Top Gear host, Jeremy Clarkson, who saves a life of lives of four men swept out to sea. Listen to this. The former Top Gear host has spoken about the ordeal after noticing four men on their floatable devices that were being swept out by the winds. Jeremy claimed that the four men were unaware that they had been uh, pulled by the sea so far out which was about a mile off the coast of Majorca, and uh, they were surprised when the presenter came to their aid. Clarkson said he loved seeing the expression on the lads' faces during the rescue. They burst out laughing when they saw who was rescuing them. The Grand Tour host revealed that they were able to get the men back to safety by towing them uh, uh, onto the back of their boat, and they were all in their 20s about a mile out at sea. I wonder if they were inebriated because they didn't even realize they were out there. You'll never be able to paddle back from here, Clarkson told him. When Clarkson tweeted about the incident, fans rejoiced. One fan joked, can you save Top Gear as well while you're at it? Anyway, our hero of the day, former Top Gear host Jeremy Clarkson, thanks for uh, watching out for the young'uns. They never would have made it back without you. That's the show, my friends. Again, we're here Monday through Friday, 9 to noon Eastern time. And the goal of the show is to make sure you can see the good in the world. And remember, you're part of that good. We couldn't do the show without you, and you couldn't live your life without everyone else around you. In the end, we need each other, and we either sink or swim, as Mr. Clarkson shows uh, together. So let's make it a great one. We'll be back Monday with more information, more ideas, more tools to help you live longer and love stronger. Until then, make it a great weekend and take care of those you love. We'll be back.